This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Mr. Bain, here we are. Episode 32. Yes. We're, man, we're just cranking them out right now. This is great. We're cranking them out so quickly that it's hard for me to keep up with the production and the videos. And yeah, because this, this will be three in the bank right now, right? I believe so. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we've got... Uh, no, I think I've just two in the bank, just this week's. Uh, yeah, because we just dropped uh, Howard's today as yeah. we're As of so. recording, we dropped yeah. the, uh, the republishing of the Ten Commandments of Powerlifting. Yes. So yes. that brings up... Uh, any loose ends from past week's episodes? Uh, I know that you looked at the analytics. I did, actually, as we were during our intermission here. And, yeah, man, I mean, great record listens, uh, tons of traction with every episode. It's And it seems like we're just we're getting momentum with every single one. I think, uh, you know, again, we have the historical historical aspect. We then are doing the interviews. The, the extras are getting a lot of traction, too. You know, Anthony Oliveria, uh, the Bob Merck episode went crazy. Like yeah, yeah, I, over a hundred listens in twenty four hours. You know, I don't think he's a guy who's been on a lot of podcasts and been, you know, kind of. Yeah, just us and Fred uh, Clary. That's really it that I know yeah, of. Yeah, no, I, I don't know that he's been. I mean, Anthony obviously has his own podcast, so he's Correct. talking all the time. But and and he's got a big audience, so his is actually I think uh, you know one of our top three listens at this point. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it really, just a lot of great stuff. And then uh, I think again, as we're kind of building, um, you know, the the different episodes stuff like that people are just really digging it and to be frank people have a lot of time on their hands right now so yeah why not and we've got a backlog to listen to we've got oh, yeah. uh 32 regular episodes and yep. then what four uh four as of now but five coming yeah we've got a fifth one coming which i think is probably one of my favorite ones oh dude is great yeah. i fanboyed so hard on that one yep yep so other than that bane what is going on um why do you have a, a monster mini banner on your arm so when you guys see this on the YouTubes, uh, the episode of already dropped uh, last night. I was doing rack pulls uh, at three sixteen barbell, which is my garage, and got to the top with uh, things four twenty five in my hand over quadded monster minis, and uh, felt my left bicep go boom. So that's fun. Um, going through the process right now. I had my general practitioner take a look over video conference uh, today. He's got his thoughts on it. Uh, we have a appointment on Wednesday, uh, May 6th, uh, Revenge of the 6th, if you will, uh, 8.30 in the morning with uh, Illinois Bone and uh, Joint, and they're going to take a look, more than likely do MRI and X-ray imaging just to confirm what we are pretty sure that it's a uh, distal tendon tear of some sort. We don't know if it's full, partial, whatever. Uh Concern there is maybe some of the bone that's missing as well because I'm feeling some pain in my forearm uh, during certain rotations. But yeah, so that's what's going on with me. So uh, obviously not going to be competing probably for 2020. The you know small tiny itty bitty chance I would do the raw challenge, but that's probably a no go. So yeah, I hope it's not a full you know rupture and maybe it's just a rehab thing. You don't need surgery. I mean, if you do, you do. Yeah, you know what I've got. Uh, I've got insurance. Uh, yeah. So right, um, right. It is what it is, but uh, Stone, what's going on with you? 
Um, YouTube, it ain't easy. But a show is fun. Uh, I don't know if it's fun. I mean, it's, <laughs> I guess it's fun to get your message out there. But, man, I just uh, – it gives a new respect because I watch a lot of YouTube. Yeah. I probably watch more YouTube than – well, definitely regular TV because I don't have cable. Sure. But uh, almost sometimes more – Cut the cable. Yeah, sometimes more YouTube than even my streaming services, which cost money. Yeah. Um, and it's not easy. Now, we're trying to upload, like, two-hour, you know, long videos. Yeah, we, I think YouTube's just telling us to shut up is really what it is. Yeah, I guess. And then, <laughs> you know, we've had camcorder issues. We, yep. uh, The next episode that will go up, we were able to get the interview with Howard. Yep. But then the other two ends of it, uh, we ran out of batteries. Yeah. And then the next episode, we ran out of uh, space on the, on the, what's on that the, thing? On the micro SD card. Uh, yeah, yeah, the micro SD card because I didn't delete some of the old videos. Yes. So, A lot of videos on there. Yeah. Uh, some issues there um eventually we will get all episodes up on youtube even the old ones without video we'll just do like we did with the first couple i put up where it'll be a right you know a slideshow or just a picture of bane and i's face and uh you know the episode because i know people do like to consume you know content on youtube we've gotten a couple comments that people said they they like the fact that we're up on youtube as well yep. And I think when we can, it's nice to do the, the video as well. For sure, for sure. I think it's it's a good medium, and it's you know nice. Some people just don't you know they can't listen to stuff you know in their office and you know with their home office or you know when we eventually all go back to work. And so it's nice to be able to have access to YouTube and do that as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so Stone, what is great? I'm gonna jump over you on this one. Okay. Uh, well, I think despite being closed down, mm-hmm. um, we're doing some upgrades to 2XL. So we're we're taking this time off. I seen them. Five, six, probably will end up being about at least 10 weeks uh, closed, which is yep. not optimal for a place that's only been open about two and a half months to start. But, but you know what? I'm so glad, though, that the coronavirus knows the difference between like the grocery store next door and your gym and right. knows not to infect anybody there. Right. Especially when we have the same, you know, 30, 40 people coming in here all the time. Yeah. And the grocery store has hundreds and hundreds of different people. Yeah. I'm glad the virus is that smart. We're doing what is great, though, Bane. Let's not get off on our coronavirus (laughs) tangents. Uh, We have some, we've had some time. So we've, we put up some, some of the stuff that we had eventually planned on doing when we moved in here. But I mean, we basically moved in here in a weekend. You know, we we moved in here in three days. We basically moved everything from the old 2XL to the new 2XL in three days. Mm -hmm. And then Howard and I spent about another week just organizing stuff. Um, but we didn't do some of like the little nicety things. So we've yeah. we've put up some banners. We dismantled and discarded the tanning beds, which were left in here. <laughs> yep. um, we're doing some work in one of the back rooms, um, which will make it a little bit more usable for us. Mm-hmm. So we're doing some stuff like that. And I think when we reopen and people come back in here and, and see uh, some of the events we'll be putting on, uh, you know, even if you've seen the how the facility looked when we first opened, um, I think people will be pleasantly surprised on some of the upgrades we've done with TVs on the walls yep. for the meets and banners and the look of the place. It, it feels to me, and this is just first Robert's second opinion, that it's no longer 2XL. It's 2XL, the home of Team Stone. Like, that's what it feels like. That's the difference that I see just with the upgrades and kind of how you guys have, have adjusted things. And I, re- I really like it. It's really awesome. So sure. uh, for those who do get to see this, I assume it'll be before uh, we reopen. Uh, it's going to be really cool. You're going to dig it. So Yeah, and thanks to especially my guy, George, you're not on the gram, yes. which has done, who's done a lot of work. Yes, he has. Um, so, Bane, how about you? What is great? You've already said uh, what's not great. Yeah, but here, you know what? Um, this isn't that bad uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I, I think we, we joke about it a lot. Generally speaking, in the sport, it's never a question of if, it's when you get hurt uh, and okay. hurt significantly. 
again, some people avoid that and, and more power to them. That's awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I'm showing that I'm not going to be one of those people. Uh, again, we are going to hope for the best, but I'm also a realist, and I know it's one of those things. I talked to Eric Marocher last night, and who's also torn his bicep completely. Correct, and you know, and as he and I talked about it, he knew as soon as it happened what happened, and I think it's that mind muscle connection that we all develop through the course of training that you almost kind of just instinctively have a, a neural fiber optic that runs down there and goes, "Yep, it what you think happens has happened." Now I may be pleasantly surprised, and and this is going to be something that is not going to require surgery. Awesome. But I'm going to take this uh, this gift of injury and you know learn from it, be smarter and and get stronger. I mean, I, I've already asked you, you know, if we can borrow the spider bar so I can so I can still squat. Uh, you know, once we kind of have the the timetable for everything, uh, as well as you know dumbbells, I can do floor presses and you know continue to maintain some semblance of training and sanity. Yep. Uh, so that's all good. And then you know I can focus on you know some other things with you know work and the family mm-hmm. and. But what is truly great about all that is not just, you know, looking for silver linings is that I have a, a tremendous circle of people uh, that are aware of what happened and immediately rallied around me. You're one of those, Marosher, Sean Copeland, uh, Joey Johnson, who was there when it happened and uh, immediately sprung into action, just making sure that I was okay. And uh, obviously my wife, uh, my boss, I, I can never say enough about Chris Glotzbach that I called him. He actually was supposed to be a top 10 MLB draft pick and blew his shoulder apart to the point that he's had five different rotator cuff surgeries. Jeez. Yeah, and, you know, as soon as I told Glass what happened, he's like, hey, here's here's what's going to happen to you. You know, if it is torn, just tell me when you're going to be out, and, you know, we'll take care of everything. So um, it's nice to know that I, I have security in my job as much as you can right now. I've got security at home, and I've got great people around me who know the process and are going to know, like, those times when I enter the kind of those dark areas. Um that it's going to pull me through that. And so it, what is great is having a great circle of people that, you know, I've been able to develop over the years. Um, I don't think some special just because there's just great people in this sport. And so, um, yeah, that's what's great for me right now. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our Plusa throwback. Throwback. So this week, and it, I, I honestly, this was <laughs> another random poll. Um, we've got, random. Uh, it was honestly just the first one in the pile, and it fits right in, literally right in. Li- what, literally. Right in with what we're going to talk about today and, and who we're going to talk to. Mm-hmm. This is the April 2007 issue of Powerlifting USA, yep. and highlighted is the 2007 WPO Finals, which um, ended, up being. ended up being the last WPO Finals until 2018. Right. On the cover, we've got the uh, the great and historic Andy Bolton, Yeah. who at this particular meet... Legend. Squatted twelve thirteen. Mm-hmm. He totaled twenty eight oh six. And I checked openpowerlifting dot com. Um, that squat is still number eight all time, wow. and the total is number six all time. That's including all classes. He'd be a little yeah. bit higher if we just if we just did super heavyweight, right? Um, but that's he, not the WPO does it. And he was also uh, the same guy who deadlift the first, mm-hmm. actually to deadlift a thousand three, which he did. You know, just a little bit prior to this at the 2006 WPC Worlds in right. Lake George, wow. WPC Worlds slash WPO semifinals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, know, so he did it actually at a meet and not in his house with his buddies judging? And he did it after squatting and deadlifting. Oh. And he did it without straps. Now, it wasn't a suit, but uh, Andy would tell you it's not like he got a lot out of his suit. Sure, but, sure. Uh, so, so I, before we dive into like, what do you think about all these guys going for records at the, in their backyard? I mean, whatever. I guess it's just entertainment, though, right? I mean, entertaining for sure, but I... I think it's an asterisk there if anybody ever tries to claim it as a record. That's just it's not a record. It's just it's a gym lift. Yeah, it's, I mean, exactly. If you're, if you're not doing it in a comp, I mean, I could, 
I squatted 740, 750 in training, but I don't claim that as my best squat. All right. So. Um, write that down, Casey. Yeah, write that down. So <laughs> this particular issue went over, again, what we found out eventually to be the last WPO finals. Right. And mentioned in the article is the incident, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk with Karen Kidder about this in a little bit, who's going to be our, uh, He's gonna our, shed some light on this. our interviewee yeah. subject of the day. But we had the incident with these two Ukrainian lifters. Um, it's not 100% clear what happened, but supposedly they were supposed to pay $3,000 each to be guest lifters. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that they didn't necessarily have qualified, but they wanted to lift at the WPO at the Arnold Classic. And so they had obviously agreed to do this, mm-hmm. um, but then when they showed up, they didn't pay. And uh, Check is in the mail. is fine. Afterwards, uh, Karen banned them. He banned their coach. Mm-hmm. It ended up being a real big issue. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Westside Barbell and Louis Simmons, after this particular meet, mm-hmm. declared that they were done with the WPO. And actually, they were done with the WPO and APF in general. Yeah, for a while. Until, uh, I would say... At least until we saw Dave Hoff at 2016 WPC Worlds. That had been 2015 at the earliest then. Yeah, and then you know they really kind of came back in full force at 2018 APF Equip Nationals, which we promoted. Right. Um, I was happy to see Louis here. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the first time he had been at a at least a big APF meet in a long time. I think saw he, Louis Airborne. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> after Dave launched him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> And I know he might have been at one of Laura Phelps's smaller meets before mm-hmm. then as, uh, you know, the, the previous extra we had just, by the time this is up, it'll probably be out. Uh, Laura Phelps talk about switching back to the APF. Yep. And, but this is the meet right here where she and all the other West Side lifters and, and many lifters in general mm-hmm. left the APF and WPO. And, well, the WPO is done. Yeah. Um, and doing a little other outside research outside of this magazine. Um, there was supposed to be a WPO finals in 2008 mm-hmm. along with some kind of fitness expo with scott mendelson in california i think something, that was one of the original fit expos too like that's a yeah. brand too now i think it's like that was one of the original ones and something happened where something didn't go through and it, it got canceled mm-hmm. after it was canceled and after uh, the wpo was out of the arnold classic mm-hmm. um that was basically it for the wpo yeah and kieran talks about this a little bit in our in our interview with him this kind of how that all came to be being out of the arnold uh gives us a little insight on that and then also uh what happened at that 2008 meet as well uh kind of interesting on that one yeah i mean uh the reports at the time were that mm-hmm. uh there was two this was part of the issue some people said i don't know um there's two uh, sides to every story yeah, and usually I, in the middle is where the truth is right um, I do know that uh, drug testing was the major issue that mm-hmm. got the WPO kicked out of uh, the Arnold Classic. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense since they were replaced by the USAPL, who sure. is a drug-tested organization. It, it, it didn't at the time, and it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me, considering that the strongman and bodybuilding are definitively not drug-tested. Right. And so I'm not sure why the powerlifting needs to be. But that was the report out of the WPO at the time. Others said it was this Ukrainian issue, which still doesn't make a I guess it, I, I've probably explained it as good as it can be explained, but it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And yeah, wh- why that would remove you from the Arnold doesn't make a lot of sense other than just... I think just it, because there was controversy around it. Yeah, and, and then the, the waterfall effect of that money not coming in. Right, and actually at this particular WPO, mm-hmm. Louis himself and his wife were there yeah. and handed out $1,500 cash yeah. to the winners. Um, At-Large Nutrition was there. Mm-hmm. They handed out cash to the second, third place um, this was at a time when the WPO actually had four weight classes. They had lightweight, middleweight, 
heavyweight and super heavyweight. So at, at certain times he had three, what, what Kieran called super open weight classes, which was lightweight, heavyweight, uh, lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And at this meet, and I think it was maybe the year prior, he added the fourth mm-hmm. and where it was super heavyweight. And it was not done like the coefficient, like the recent WPO has done. It was top weight lifted. Just total. Right, just total in that super open weight class. Interesting. And so it really had people kind of work up to those particular weight classes. Mm-hmm. When it was originally lightweight, it was up to 165. So everyone was trying to cut oh, wow. down to 165. And then when they made it lightweight, I think they upped it to 181. I'm not 100% sure about that. Mm-hmm. But whatever the top level of the super open weight classes were, everyone kind of pushed themselves up to that or dropped or down. Or cut down, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, put on 40 pounds overnight. Well, and especially because uh, at this time, the mm-hmm. WPO had 48 our weigh-in, which was uh, oh, wow. one of the rule changes between the WPC and WPO mm-hmm. um, that uh, that Karen instituted. And so, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over those a, a little bit. We don't go into all the rule differences, but I yeah. know there was an a entertainment factor. Involved that was in that. the main thing, uh, I guess, to give people more time to, to rehydrate. But, I mean, yep. guys like uh, guys at the time, yep. like Matt Kraslowski, yep. who won this WPO, I think, in the middleweights, mm-hmm. um, or was a top lifter. Um, he was infamous for having dropped from like 270, 280 down to 220. Wow. Um, I think he even did a report at one time. I don't know if it was for this particular meet. He did a report on Elite FTS, like, you know, talking about his, you know, weight loss in a 24-hour period and basically just sawed it for like 24 hours straight. Jeez. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. If it's, I could ever go back and find that. Crazy. So we've got uh, a West Side training article, but, but ironically, this one is not by Louis. It's by Matt Wedding. Interesting. And there's no Louie article. Sometimes there'd be two. There'd be like, you know, a Matt Wenning and a Louie or a Jim Wendler and a Louie. What's this Louie speaking through, Matt? Right. And Matt has since left Westside and oh, is yeah. not uh, not a big Westside fan anymore. Nope. Um, which it's, it's, you know, and maybe if we have Anthony Oliveria back on again, who has, as he said, left Westside twice. Yeah. Um, maybe he can kind of talk about it. It seems like everybody leaves Westside. And I don't think Anthony, but many lifters leave Westside, at least initially, are very angry. And maybe yeah. it's because that, you know, there's such that close association with Westside. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, when there's that much passion, when you leave, there's going to be that much anger. Um, yeah, it, possibly. I, I often wondered, too, if it's in my watching of Westside versus the world. And that, that's that's my only initiation with with louis i've never met the man in person uh, yeah. i would love to someday because i would love just to get a feel of him and, and that's you know uh, to really see if it lines up but to louis other than a very select few and not to say he's not nice to people because he everything i hear is that he is actually nice to people in in a lot of respects i, I mean i doubt it back in the old days you used to be able to call up Westside and you'd talk to louis for 15 20 minutes I, and he was just- He'd, he'd just give you advice. Yeah. You know, oh, well, you need to do reverse hypers. You know, well, you tore your bicep. What I want you to do is do uh, body wet bicep curls, yep. 100 reps every day. I'll only work the rat sack as you keep the rat sack strong. The left side will never get weak. Yeah. Which is actually exactly what I'm planning on doing. So thank you, Louie. Um, no, he would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I watched it when um, they talked about what's his name that had his arm in a sling and they basically strapped him down to the uh, chuck. Chuck. And it strapped him down to the bench and made him start, <laughs> start benching. So, uh, but no, I, I I feel like because once Louis sees that you've hit your plateau or he doesn't feel that you have the mentality to continue to progress to what he feels you have as potential, he's done. He's right. just going to move on. And and for a time, he was able to do that because there were so many people that were so hungry to be at Westside. I think now where that turns people off is 
you know, at some point you go, listen, dude, like, you're, there's not going to be too many more people coming through. Right. And so I, I think that's what has definitely turned some people off. Or they feel like I'm going to be the one that, like, breaks him. Sure. Dude, I don't you, think that's going to happen. Yeah. No, not at this point. I mean, again, I think there's a select few. Like, Chuck may be the only one that is, quote, unquote, broken Louie. Yeah, he's left and come back. Right. But nonetheless, in this article, uh, actually a pretty interesting article for Matt. He talks about mm-hmm. kind of the three phases of your training. Right. You start off with training to train. Then you transition to training to compete, mm-hmm. and eventually you transition to training to win. Mm-hmm. And I thought the way he laid it out, not a really long article, but it made sense that, yeah, when you start off training, you're just basically training to you know learn how to train and learn the yep. lifts. Yep. Eventually, you can train to compete in the sport, mm-hmm. and then once you get some you know meats under your belt, then you can start to actually train to compete against other people. Yes. So Makes sense. We also train had that's what we do. Train a wean, right? Exactly. <laughs> we also had uh, some results from the 2006 mm-hmm. Illinois record breakers. Oh, trying to be like Hawaii, I see. Um, you know, actually, the concept of it was a a little bit lower cost meet mm-hmm. and lower cost awards. It wasn't as focused on awards as other meets. That was my my concept of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is after Ernie Franz had stopped running what he called the Region Six meet. There okay. Was, there was originally, like in the USPF, there's all these different regions in the U.S. And, mm-hmm. and Ernie, the Region 6, I guess, was the Midwest region. Okay. It was basically a Midwest regional meet. I believe he ran one in 03, 04. I don't know if there's anything in 05. Mm-hmm. And so I took over and wanted to do a fall meet. I think I only ran the meet about one or two years. And then eventually we transitioned over to the Illinois Raw Power Challenge. Mm-hmm. Raw. Um, gosh, when was that? 08, 09. Um, so... The concept of the meet was that, and mm-hmm. there are some pretty big names of this meet. I mean, uh, of note, we had an 805 bench from Rob Leando. Mm-hmm. We had a uh, 711 bench from Bill Carpenter, nice. now uh, runs of the UPA. And one of my teammates, Bob McConaughey, uh, bench 700. Wow. And when I think of Bob, I think of the incident when Team Stone first started. Mm-hmm. And... The basic start of Team Stone was myself, my wife Jackie, and Jason Visney. We all worked out at Franz on Saturdays, but we didn't want to do all three together like the Franz lifters did. Right, so right. we started benching together at, at Jason Visney's school on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And eventually when I started working at Velocity, the three of us and more um, started doing the same thing. And I, I couldn't go to Franz anymore because mm-hmm. of my work schedule. And so a few Franz lifters started transitioning over and started at least benching with us on Sundays. Right. And one infamous Sunday, Bob came over, and he was a super strong bencher again. You know, 700. I think he maybe even benched more than that at one point. Right. Um, it was myself, Visney, Bob, and my wife, Jackie. So we didn't really have enough people to be doing heavy benching. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since this point, whenever anybody does heavy shirted board press or shirted benching in general we always have three spotters two sides okay and one in the back i can already see where this is going yeah bob was doing uh board work with 500 mm-hmm. and he wanted to do reps and he was super unstable mm-hmm. and he took one down and boom just fell back just onto onto his neck and Jeez. it was on his neck luckily jason visney was the the lead spotter and he's mm-hmm. a big bigger dude sure he grabbed it almost immediately we're lucky he didn't hit his chin or his forehead this is before the days of the safety uh the face savers the face savers that yep. we have on all of our benches now um, well, one of the reasons you do yeah it was a pretty scary moment sure and we insisted that he go to the hospital we want we almost call, i had nine one 
and I was about to hit one on my phone to call 911, Jesus. the old days of cell phones. And I was about to call, but he said, no, no, I'm okay. <laughs> we insisted he go to, like, urgent care. He was okay, but mm-hmm. one of those, like, things that really sticks in your mind. Yeah, for um, sure. One interesting thing, and actually, Bane and I had uh, some conversations with uh, yeah a, a guy who says, and I have no reason to not believe him, but... He says he worked for Rogue mm-hmm. and helped them design their <coughs> their mono style hooks that they sell for their Power X. Yeah. And one of the things when when he and I were kind of corresponding back and forth is, you know, he said he was surprised we didn't bring up the the Krepsinik strength equipment hooks back before uh, the Rogue and I think a couple other off offshoot organ you know equipment off, manufacturers off brands basically off brands make it. Um, Krepsinik was basically the first company to sell any kind of like mono hook that you could put on a power rack that right. wasn't, you know, in an actual true monolift right, or right. squat rack. And he was the only one who really sold anything like that for years and years and years. And it hmm. was a pretty unique piece. It's pretty expensive. I think it was, I looked into it. I think it was close to a thousand with shipping. What? Um, less than obviously a monolift. Um, still, <laughs> it was unique because it could fit on a power rack, and it was actually hydraulically adjustable. So okay. it wasn't, it wasn't even like the rogue ones that you know. Yeah, I mean these things we just pull on. Yeah, you know, it wasn't on, like that. On. But it, you, you, the the advantage of the hydraulic is you could adjust it, you know, on the fly, like an actual mile. Yes, because that is a huge pain. That because Joey and John are so much taller than I am that I basically have to do either high bar squats or like we just can't all squat together. Right. So he was kind of the first one. There's an advertisement in here from Krebs and Strength Equipment. He was the first one to sell. And his website's still up there. He also sold one of the first safety squat bars. Mm. I don't know if he's still in business. His website's still there. But um, in our top 100, we had, uh, and this was really kind of at the real peak of multiply lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our top 100 198s. We had Sam Bird with a thousand three squat. Wow. Number two was uh, Cartinian. I can't mm-hmm. remember his first name, but a nine fourteen squat. Okay. Sean Frankel eight seventy seven. Phil Harrington eight sixty five. Number four. Some some really well known lifters there. Yeah. Jason Coker also had a seven ten bench, which was number one. Wow. Um, Mike Wolfie, not Mike Wolf, mm-hmm. had a 705 bench at 198. Mm-hmm. Sean Frankel, again, a, a well-known guy with a 683 bench. This is all 198. Mm-hmm. T. Myers, number one deadlift, 733. Mm-hmm. And then Sean Frankel, number one, with a 2243 total. Um, Bird squad, as I remember it, was uh, somewhat controversial on the depth end. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it wasn't in, but it was uh, at the time. There were folks that questioned it. Yeah, it was certainly questioned at the time, mm-hmm. and it was uh, run in an organization which uh, we might discuss a little bit later, <laughs> which uh, I think we also discussed in our Anthony Oliveria episode. And we've discussed in our Alphabet Soup, for sure. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's our uh, our Pulsa throwback for the day. Um, I think now we'll throw it to our interview with Kieran Kidder. Strap in, kids. Okay, we are here with the founder of the original WPO, Kieran Kidder. He is also the current WPC CEO, and uh, it uh, is good to talk to you, Kieran. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm really uh, looking forward to talking to you, and it's good hearing from you, Eric, and always appreciate what you've done for the APF, and uh, and really just uh, glad to talk to you, and it's good to hear from you guys. 
Definitely. Yeah, if you want to just start maybe with just telling uh, the audience a little bit about yourself in general, and then we'll kind of get a little bit more specific from there. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'm Kieran Kidder, the the uh, owner and CEO of the APF and WPC, original founder of the WPO. Started uh, powerlifting probably when I was in junior high, which was probably about sixth or seventh grade, so probably in the about 1980 or 81. Wow, nice. Really started from uh, playing a pickup basketball game at a YMCA in my hometown of uh, Keene, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine threw me a pass, and it went over my head and down an open doorway. (laughs) And it rolled down about three flights of stairs. It was like the lights weren't on, and I kind of reluctantly went down there. It was kind of creepy looking, actually. And uh, I walked down there, and the ball had all the way down the steps and rolled into the freeway gym of the... This sounds like the intro to a movie. Like, this sounds awesome. (laughs) And the the YMCA in Keene, New Hampshire. That's so dope. I I watched this guy. I literally... I bent over and I picked up the ball and I stood up and I saw this guy. I still know him to this day. His name is Joe Lamoureux. And he was a drug-free 148-er, 165-pounder. Mm-hmm. And was pulling 500 as I walked in there. Wow. Wow. And, and so... It's like, whoa. I just was like captivated by it. And I totally forgot about <laughs> I was playing basketball. In my- <laughs> sure. That's that is awesome. Yeah, what a, what a great intro to the sport. Jeez. After about ten minutes, this friend of mine, his name is Joe Gulbin. He came down. He goes, Kieran, what are you doing? And I looked at him. I was like, Here, take this stupid basketball and <laughs> get out here. And uh, that's pretty much how my powerlifting career started. I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Wow. And then I just was standing there. I was leaning up against the wall and watching what was going on. And this guy, his name was Bob Petrowski. He was a college student at our local college. We had it's called Keene State College. And he asked me if I wanted to try. He goes, you want to try it out? And they were, him and a friend that they were benching. And uh, so he put the, he, he started with the bar and then he put on, I believe, fives or tens and then the 25s and i ended up maxing out about 185 okay it's not too shabby for a sixth seventh grader mm-hmm. first time i ever lifted it all wow and uh <clears throat> bob goes because i think you might be pretty good at this <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's where it really all started right there and you know at the <clears throat> keen ymca and you know then i <clears throat> uh you know about three years out of high school then I started my own gym in my hometown mm-hmm. called Kidder's Gym and I you know was, did it so I could mostly have my own good powerlifting gym to train in why many of us powerlifters start sure <laughs> start right, right. gyms because we're like man this uh, you know world gym or wherever sucks and they don't have a good squat bar and the whole nine yards we all know that and we do our own thing sure so you know, and that's how I started the gym business. And then, I, you know, back then it was, 
this was probably like late eighties, early nineties. And I was also working in masonry at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was in like January or so, and it was freezing cold and I must fell off some staging in like 20 below weather. And I was like, Florida sounds pretty good. My first wife had been, who was born down here, um, was, was like begging me to move to Florida. And I just, didn't see myself for about a year or so after her, she brought it up. And, and I always remembered how like training in the winter time, it just was like harder and your joints hurt more and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, so, you know, said after working out in this 20 below degree day, I came home and I told my, you know, we weren't married yet, but she's my girlfriend then and said yeah let's move to florida that sounds pretty good right now in the middle of january yes sure. i 100 percent agree <laughs> <laughs> that was about 1990 and then you know i uh you know i i started training at a world gym that uh like i said you know was the reason a lot of us powerlifters start our own gyms and it just it had you know there was in florida back then there was you'd be lucky to find a bench that was wider than nine inches. And oh, wow. like every it was like a total bodybuilder state. Right. When when I first came here. There was one guy over in uh, Lakeland, Florida named Lou Balls, who I haven't heard or know anything about for at least fifteen plus years. Who was actually he and his crew from All American Gym were very helpful in the early days of the WPO with me is helping me work the meat spotters and loaders and all that. Sure. But he let me come over to his gym. Like I used to like six weeks out from seniors or six weeks out from, uh, from worlds. You know, he was the only butt person in the entire state that had a mono lift and any type of power lifting, you know, clientele whatsoever. He almost everyone that trained there was into the sport in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so after he, I would go over there and squat, and they would help me out and stuff. And I was just like, you know, this is great. I wish I had my own kind of setup like this. And, you know, that's kind of where I decided to start my own get back in the gym business again in Florida. And but knew that I needed to have more than just a powerlifting gym. So I made it a, a nice about 80 percent of it was a fitness center. And then I had my own powerlifting room in the back for you know, to kind of keep it separated. Sure, and, sure. Um, you know how the intimidation factor. Sure. Know, oh, powerlifters are just big teddy bears. Come on now. I know. <laughs> but they, they get scared for no reason at all. Right. In a, a stereotype that we've all dealt with. So, but anyways, I used, you know, as uh, I used to hold a lot of meets there and, I, and a lot of that's where I started the whole, you know, I was... I want. I wanted to start, um, you know, a professional federation, but I just didn't want to start it up like anything. You know, I wanted to have some some history to it, something that you know where it meant something, and <clears throat> that's why you know I really took over the APF and WPC from Ernie because I wanted it. <clears throat> I wanted it to mean more, you know. Sure, for sure. So let's back up a little bit, Karen. Um, so you're you're back in the the Northeast, lifting weights at the YMCA. Um, yeah. When did you start competing in powerlifting? Yep. At about you know, I did my first meet when I was 14. Wow. Oh wow, that's awesome. 
in my first meet when I was 14, and I bombed out. Oh. <laughs> but that's how you know you're a real powerlifter, because you bombed out of a meet. <laughs> they had it back then where you had to follow yourself. Like oh, that wow. was before the round system. Oh, wow. So I uh, I did I, – I was I was competed at 165, and I opened up with, like, believe it was, like, 315 or 20, something like that. And my so I picked it up, and I got the squat signal, and then I adjusted again, okay? Mm. okay. So the lift was no good. I moved after the squat signal, and then – and then uh, I did my second attempt, and um, I didn't go low enough, okay? Okay. So there was nobody, that, that old system, if you didn't have anybody taking a weight higher than that, then yours, you had to go again. So, like, I just sat down. I was starting to take my wraps off. They go, Kieran Kidder, you're the lifter, okay? <laughs> I still had my wrap. I had my wraps on for, like, 12 minutes, it seemed like, or whatever. And I went down, my legs were like rubber bands, and I couldn't do it. Right. So, and I didn't even know what bombing meant then, okay? Sure. Well, so you know now. There's <laughs> this, this guy named, this old lifter named Scott Burbank, that he actually lifted in the WPO meet from my hometown, the first one I ever had in Orlando. Wow, okay. He was a really strong kid. I mean, really strong kid. I mean, he benched like 315 in high school at 160. And uh, he could, he was just super, super strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was about 17 or 18. And I, and I was standing there and I go, well, I'll just do better in the bench. And, and he looks over, he goes, Kieran, he goes, you're all done. And I went, <laughs> my dad was with me. I had no friggin' idea that what, you know, that I was disqualified. And, uh, so that's how my first meet went. And, and yet you I, still came back. And then, yeah, and then I did my, because I just, you know, wanted to do better and, and, you know, you know, it was like a lot of times when I don't succeed at things, I stewed over them, you know, so I always wanted to get another shot at it. So that's just kind of how it was. But, um, yeah, then, then we had a meet about three months later at our local YMCA that my coach, his name is Louis LaPointe, who was a, used to lift back in the AAU mm -hmm. way back in the seventies. He actually, he was one of the, <clears throat> excuse me. He was one of the first, um, teenagers to ever bench 400 in the country. Oh, wow. And he did that, you know, a long, you know, before, you know, obviously way before gear and, you know, even before powerlifting was, you know, <clears throat> to what it is now, you know what I mean? A lot of people didn't obviously know about powerlifting to the degree they do mm -hmm. for the last 20 years, even back, you know, compared to the seventies, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he coached me for quite some time. got me, you know, we <clears throat> first he took me, he and I, we went to a national meet. It was a USPF meet in Allentown, Pennsylvania for the first <clears throat> national meet I ever did. And I was about, I believe I was 18 or 19. Okay. Okay. And I came in fourth. There was about, probably about 38 kids in my class. Wow. That's, gee, that's a big class. Yeah. Now, was that, was, was that a point when the USPF was mainly the only organization? Pretty much, yep. Yeah. You know, I believe Ernie had started the APF, but 
like it had just started. I think what he started to believe in eighty one or early eighties. I think eighty two, eighty three, and then yeah, I don't think he. Yeah, this was probably you know, you know, this was probably about eighty six or seven. So it hadn't been around that long. Gotcha. The APF. So then, so you so you start competing. You're you're making progress, Kieran. What what are your best lifts in competition? Um. A thousand three squat, okay, and then a um, six, I believe six twenty eight bench was the highest official bench. I did, I did six seventy seven in an unsanctioned uh, push pull okay. up in in Maine, but um, it was ref, you know, it was judged and everything, but it wasn't sanctioned. Sure, and, um, <clears throat> and then um, my best deadlift, I believe, was seven thirty three, or set yeah. Seven or seven twenty-seven. My best total was twenty-three oh six. I did in Finland mm-hmm. in two thousand two. And what what weight class was that? At, I was at three oh eight. Nice, nice. I did a thousand three. I, I, I did a thousand three, a six twenty-two bench, and then I I uh, pretty sure I deadlifted like seven eleven, seven sixteen. I was actually not happy with that because I was I had I had doubled seven uh, fifteen in training, mm-hmm. and and Herb Glossbrenner like talked me out of going. High. I was going to go seven twenty six for my second attempt, mm-hmm. and uh, and he talked me out of it because you know I I had I had actually just really kind of cut my deadlift you know really was not that good probably. You know, all through my twenties, compared to you know what you know, to my squat and my bench, you know, mm-hmm. I was stuck in the high sixes for quite some time, and then once I uh, was introduced and started learning uh, and learned about the reverse hyper and started using that, you know, religiously, then my deadlift started going up considerably. Gotcha. That, gotcha. That that's when I broke into the you know low to mid sevens. I did seven. I did seven fifty in training, and um, and I, I did seven. When I did this unsanctioned push pull, I did the six seventy seven uh, bench and a seven thirty three pull. Gotcha. Uh, I believe in, in the three lift three lift meet I did in uh, Daytona at one of my Southern States meets. Mm-hmm. My highest uh, pull was seven twenty seven official. Okay. Pre- okay. Yeah, and I believe your Instagram profile says you were like one of the first or the first Floridian to squat a thousand. Is that correct? Uh, the first, I was the very first Floridian to ever squat. You know, and I had lived here about like almost like twelve or thirteen years. I hadn't like like just moved here. Or sure, was gotcha. An established resident, and um, and I was also the first. I was also the first to squat nine hundred and a thousand in Florida and in New Hampshire. I was the first. Lifter to ever officially squat 800. Wow. Okay. Nice. Some good yeah. firsts. So, you know, you're lifting and meet. You've got the gym, you know, first in New Hampshire and then down in Florida. Um, at what point did you get involved and then start promoting meets? Um, I actually, now you think of it, you know, I, it was a kind of, you know, a hiatus. But the first meet I ever did was back in my hometown. Mm-hmm. It was actually was a USPF meet. Sure was the very first meet I ever promoted. And then the second meet I ever promoted in my town was a comeback for Ted R. City. Okay. And that, okay. That, that was actually sanctioned APF. And Ernie was very instrumental in that one as well. Okay. Um, 
team where he got he got Ted fitted for a shirt. And, you know, he came back and he broke Ken Lane's record and they went back and forth a couple of times. And, um, you know, and I, I can't remember who if Ken ended up taking it back. I think that he did. But they, they it went back and forth. We even tried to get Ken Lane to come to my hometown, but he, he didn't come. Right. Just didn't want to travel or. Yeah, I, I just can't. You know, it was so long ago. Sure. I can't sure. The exact reason why, you know. Um, he couldn't come. Eric, I think he had actually competed so recently that he wasn't going to be ready, if I recall. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, you know, he said, uh, you know, he did over. He he broke. He did a seven eleven, and then I believe he did seven nineteen, and one more time. You know, like with the little record chips. But um, I believe Ken ended up taking it back. Sure. So those were the two biggest meets I ever did, you know, did. And, you know, just being around Ted R. City was amazing back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just so friggin' strong. I never seen, you know, I, one time I went over and helped him train one time when one of his partners couldn't show up or something. And I gave him liftoffs and all in the, in, in the entire workout, I saw him with no bench shirt. Okay. And he was, he was so funny because, he would take 135, and he had these huge calcium deposits in his elbows, and he had these issues with his elbows a mm-hmm. bit. And he would he would like shake with the weight, even with the with the lightest amount of weight, he would shake a little at the top. Okay, sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying, but then, but then he would go down, and it was like a flip, a switch flip, right? So I saw him one time in the same workout do. Uh, 565 for five, 595 for five, 525 for five, and 650 for three, all in the same workout with no shirt. Wow. One of the most incredible feats of strength they ever that's, seen. In that's insane. That's crazy. It was absolutely, and he would, and he, like, he'd be shaking at the top and he'd come down, and he'd go boom, and just explode like it was shot out of a gun. Wow. You know, he, he didn't even know how to use the shirt. Like, if he, if he, if Ernie had worked with him for a while and he used a shirt for a year or two, he probably would have benched over a thousand easily. Wow! I mean, he was a true freak. Yeah, I mean, and the, to be fair, the shirts back then weren't. Oh, know, they were not, what the shirts were, were today. Rags. Right. They were like rags. You know? but, you, but you think about it, you think about how ahead of his time that is. I mean, there are guys oh. now like the Julius Maddox and you know Thomas Davis that are just now cracking seven hundred for singles. Right. I mean, that's that is just wild. But yeah. you know, when, different when he, different eras. When he first did seven hundred, he did it raw. He did it with no shirt. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. A sing, you know, a single. You know, when he did, I believe he did it at the like the Hawaii record breakers that mm-hmm. they used to have back in the day. I believe, but sure. he didn't even use the shirt then. Wow. But he only started using a shirt because Ken Lane was using one. Right. So he was trying to you know get the advantage, but he never really even figured it out. Sure. Just kind of played so around with it. Two big meets in New Hampshire that, you know, uh, you know that got me excited, and especially our city meet because that drew a lot of attention. And we had reporters came. Uh, you know, Ernie flew in, and then Jeff Huber came in, mm-hmm. and they refereed it. Um, uh, you know, and it was it was really cool just having Ernie there for that and his part in it and all. And you know, it was great to just have. Ted, you know, do it in the APF, but Ken was do, did it in the APF as well because we were the only, you know, open federation back then. 
Sure. Right. Um, so it was just a cool thing to have. You bet. But the, when I when I came to, to Florida, I started. Um, I did probably my first meet, I believe, in the early '90s, like '93, at my son's high school, and it was just like a Southern States meet. That's like one of my, uh, you know, probably longest running meets that I've ever had. That that still uh, has been uh, run annually since um, since like like it was '92 or three. Oh, wow. Some big lifts have happened in it. It used to be like a mini seniors at one time. One time we had about six guys squat over a grand in it. You know, wow. um, uh, it was, and, and it still is. It's a, it's a meet that I take a lot of pride in. And, you know, <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, um, you know, the late Rick Lawrence isn't able to be part of it anymore, but yeah. he kept it going for me. But um, now we have someone else that's taken his, place it sucked it had to come to this we have a guy named sean knowles who's mm-hmm. a new florida state chairman yeah he's we, doing a we know him pretty well oh yeah oh yeah hang out with sean he's quite a bit really awesome i mean he's uh you know we'd take rick back in like a second if this just this never happened but um it, you know we feel it was we were amy and i were really nervous about what was going to happen after that and he's really come in and, and done a phenomenal job and made yeah. us feel a lot better and because the, the Florida is important to the APF, and it always has been. You know? mm-hmm. so, Agreed. We yeah. uh, we definitely enjoyed our time down there last year for uh, yeah. AWPC Worlds. That it was, was fun. This time, you know, like, a lot of the reasons that I started having meets down here is because I just knew people liked coming here. You know, it turned it into a vacation. Yep. Um, you know, it's yeah, some of the meets I had. Oh, back at this old Ramada Inn that was close to my huge iron training center that i started mm-hmm. so like specifically ernie that's where he squatted to 810 and 826 at oh okay oh the the infamous famous yeah yeah that's i i can't even imagine that there's a better master lift lift coefficient pounded yeah. age and everything even to this day yeah at 63 yes. that's that's incredible absolutely amazing insane I really and you know he wasn't even that big of a man. I mean, he was barely over 200 pounds. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Karen, uh, could you tell us, you know, how did you get involved with the APF? Sounds like you started off with the USPF, which is, you know, pretty typical at that time. Um, how did you then transition over to APF? Yeah, like you said, I, <clears throat> you said I did, you know, a few USPFs promoting them and, um, and you know, and competing in them and, they were right there, like, you know, primarily where I was from in New England. And a lot of these meets, they just were like, you know, <clears throat> had lots of divisions. A lot of them ran like super late into the night. And, you know, I just was opting, you know, was looking for something better. And that was something that was more lifter friendly and not just about, you know, the promoter, you know, <clears throat> making as much money as he can, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't feel like doing the and, marathons. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were you know at that time we just had powerlifting usa and you know you know people remember but you would you know each month you would like look forward to getting your pl usa and then you would look through you know at the end at the dates of like when all the meets were coming up Mm -hmm. you know this was oh probably you know about like 19 probably 88 89 and somewhere in there and um and ernie was 
I don't remember if he was supposed to be somewhere else, but something happened, and he ended up promoting the Junior Nationals at his gym there in Aurora. Right. Okay. Yep. And um, back, that was when, you know, it was like a stepping stone to the Senior Nationals, and mm-hmm. if you won it, you could never go back and do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. It was a great contest, you know, and, uh, you know, it had nothing to obviously do with Junior Lifters. It was just kind of like a novice national, I believe, was kind of the concept it's a, it's of a it. proving ground for, for the big yeah, dogs. Yeah, proving ground, exactly, yeah. which I thought was really cool. So. Um, so this friend of mine that trained at my gym, you know, I, I started a gym like maybe about two years out of high school, you know, in my hometown called Kidder's Gym. Mm-hmm. Yep. This kid that was a, sw- a swimmer who actually he was really a specialized in butterfly, and he had this gigantic chest. He was friggin' about a two forty two pounder and totally raw lifter, could bench about five hundred and had a decent squat, and he kind of wow. did a lot of. Uh, only power lift kind of when he wasn't swimming you know <laughs> somehow it might have been the only power lift to me he ever did but i remember him to this day his name was seth donahue he went to my high school he was a few years behind me and then just through my gym and everything we started this relationship and i somehow talked to me like in my hometown everybody that power lifted everything was either state meet and regional meet you didn't you, you know you you didn't uh you trained kind of through the winter and did a meet in the spring mm-hmm. and then started training again in the fall and everybody jokingly, you know, I used to come up, they would come up and say, you know, uh, they would say they were cutting up for summer. That meant that <laughs> I'm not lifting because it's summer. Right. Okay. Sure. And I was like, and I was seeing how like all these bigger meets were kind of more into the summer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, you know, and I was like, well, if I want to step up, and I had won a bunch of these state meets and stuff, and it wasn't <clears throat> a lot of competition, and and there was some, but uh, I uh, decided to go, and I saw that Ernie was, and I was, you know, I was reading about, I can't remember how I got a hold of the rule book or whatever, but just said it was a more lifter-friendly organization. You know, mm-hmm. I can just tell that from reading it. I might have called them and had them send it to me, I believe, you know, that's when... You know, God, because that's what you did at the time. You didn't look up online, you know, and, you know, even Amy was still there back then. Our absolute God sent it holds this federation together. Amen. Love her like a sister. And uh, so I believe she must have sent it to me or whatever. And like I said, I could tell it was much more lifter friendly. So my friend sat down here. We flew out to Chicago. And. We were only like 22 when he was 20. I was 22 when he was 20. Okay. Fun, fun little adventure. I, yeah. And they said that um, at the time that, it, you know, it's uh, maybe it still does out there. I have no idea. But that if you were under 25, you could not rent a car in Illinois from out of state. Yeah. I think that still is a rule. I think it's a, that's like a national rule. Like you can't rent a car under 25. Mm, so, but anyways, that was the case. And I, and we were, you know, had to get out to Aurora somehow. We were like, oh, my God, you know. And um, we knew, like, we had, were supposed to weigh in, you know, in a few, you know, three or four hours after we got there. And mm-hmm. we were like, how are we going to get out there? And then somebody told us about this, like, really, like, you know, mom and pop type of rental place that was, you know, not Hertz or Avis or, you know, National. It was some, like, kind of private 
and we were like, you know, looking through the yellow pages, and then, you know, <laughs> getting getting change for the payphone, and just totally panic stricken. <laughs> there are people listening to this out. right now that have no idea what you're talking right, about. They're That's like, awesome. why didn't you just go on your phone and, and get an Uber? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so absolutely panic stricken that we're not going to make it out there. And you know, I because it's like somehow oh yeah, we got like a recording and I couldn't get this rental thing and it was like on the you know we were in you know um midway and what's the other airport oh here yeah and we were up at o'hare and this place was like down by you know by midway even like oh, and south of that we were like oh my god how are we gonna get there right so this guy sitting behind us he's like you know just this huge huge dude and you know and uh he goes he goes, oh, you guys must be heading out to Aurora. And I was like, you know, because I go, yeah, we are. We can't get a rental car. We don't know how we're going to get out there. And he goes, well, I'm going out there. I'm coaching some lifters out there. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm heading out there. So I'll just get you a ride there. That's awesome. Take care. So, <clears throat> so, you know, we're sitting out there like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And that we're, this, we're getting this lucky. So we're in the car. We're like. We're like about 20 minutes on the road and out there. And then he turns over to me, goes, goes, Oh, by the way, goes, I'm Dave Passanella. And I went, wow. What? No way. I was Holy like, shit. That's amazing. Went, oh my God. I was like, to me, that was like, like if someone like met Michael Jordan, like I was like, like in, in my locker at school, I had a picture of Ed Cohn, Dave Passanella, and Bill Nichols in my locker. That's crazy. And that, so wow. the reason I didn't recognize him was because if, a lot of people don't know this, but like he used to suck an absurd amount of weight before he competed. Mm-hmm. He used to like he. I believe he. I was totally you know he trained. I read about him. Probably he would train about like three ten, and and do the whole garbage bag thing and showers and saunas and all that you know like 36 hours out from the meat to make 275 and he Jeez, did that's oh man these ridiculous you know world record totals you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and uh you know obviously he had the highest powerlifting total that probably no one ever thought would be broken you know that gary frank did mm-hmm. and, and you know like i remember seeing him in the magazines and then people might not a lot of people don't even remember this but like ESPN, they used to do these fitness segments, okay, with that involved like aerobics and fitness yep. and some bodybuilding. I cannot remember what they were called, but there was this one guy who was the host. You know, that's kind of looked like a overly pumped aerobic instructor. But he so, but one time they had Dave Passanella on on the show mm-hmm. on the fitness show on ESPN, and he talked about the squat okay and the been so and he looked i mean he was like i said i'd seen him you know in uh powerlifting usa but you know in powerlifting in a singlet and a t-shirt you know you only see so much but so he was wearing like a like a like a gold gym tank top string mm-hmm. tape was totally jacked i mean like uh, so freaking huge and he gets under 705 okay on on, you know, this was on national TV back then. Okay, wow. And he gets on on TV and he was like talking while doing like fifteen reps with like 
Oh, squats a great lift for your development. Or <laughs> you're going like up and down with 705, like no wraps, little short shorts. And, you know, he looked like an off season bodybuilder. Wow. You know, and so when I saw him, he was like in his kind of, you know, little uh, off season or oversized. You know, he was like three tens. He did not look, I didn't recognize him. He, he was in squishy mode. Bigger. Yeah, he was like, he looked like me, you know. So. <laughs> He was just, you know, more bigger and rounder and, you know, and just I could not even believe that I was sitting next to Dave Passanel and he's giving me a ride to my first national contest ever. Wow. That, that was actually giving me my question. Did you ever figure out who it was that gave you the ride? Well, yeah, obviously you did. That's wow. <laughs> yeah. What what a story. So, so you and, guys uh, get to nationals and then what happens? Yeah. We get there, you know, we weigh in, like we thank him a whole bunch of times mm-hmm. and just like, you know. Uh, he, you know, and he told us he would give us a ride back to the airport when, you know, after the meet was done and, mm. and all that, you know, and so we talked to him a little bit more and then he, you know, had a bunch of lifters to coach, you know, he was a, the, the, the strength coach at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And I believe some of these students, these, these lifters were, a few of them were Georgia Tech students cool. or football players or something like that. But they were from his, you know, the Atlanta area and he actually had a booth there. And then he gave my friend and I set these two awesome shirts. It says, think big, life's too short to be small. <laughs> I had that. Amen. I had that thing for so long. Uh, I mean, I remember losing it, and I was just, like, devastated after about seven years of having it. Oh, wow. remember what happened to it. I just lost it. I was, oh, I thought someone died. But, uh, and, you know, we had, I had a great, that's actually also the first time I met uh, Steve Brodsky as well, mm-hmm. who's another major character, as many know. Yeah, he was from around here. Yep. Yeah, he was coached by Terry Dangerfield back then. He was, oh, another real character. Wow. Yeah, double characters. He was he, like, these are all just names I've heard. Like that's crazy. Like to think about. Like, I mean, they obviously had a reputation. He was like influenced by like Ninja Turtles. He would like go Ninja Turtles rule after he made a big lift. <laughs> yeah. He, was, he deadlifted about eight ten. I mean, Steve Brodsky was one really freaky strong dude. A lot of people didn't realize how amazingly strong he was. Right. But um, but anyway, so yeah. Uh, but back to like Dave. So we, you know, we did our meet, and um, you know, we we met with him, I believe, on Sunday after he was done, and uh, he brought us back, and you know, we, you know thanked him so much and and uh you know just would have you know first you know i'm like the apf oh my god this place is best federation on you know i'm like i'm apf for life i this was great and you know uh and so we fly back home and then uh you know again you you know the anticipation that your plusa is getting ready to come mm-hmm. uh you know on the covers dave passanella is dead and, wow. uh, you know, he, when he flew home from that, that contest, he got somehow, he had someone ran him off the road or whatever, but he had a car accident and he was, uh, ran into some huge, like concrete structure and died. Ugh. Wow. And that's why we no longer have that amazing man. One of the most, hmm. you know, historic, most incredible power lifters that's ever. No doubt. Definitely. Earth and who knows what he would have done if he, mm-hmm. you know, 
I, I, I've, I've been told by um, a guy named, you know, LB Baker when we were on better terms about some just crazy stuff that he did. You know, he was from Georgia and just, you know, like training lifts of him, you know, because he imagine he sucked all that weight. Imagine how strong he actually was at 310. Oh, right? yeah. You know, yeah. Before sucking that weight. Okay. He said he saw him do, you know, like two or three reps with 1,100, with just a belt and wraps. Jeez. I mean, I mean, he was an absolute, you know, uh, a like monster. second coming of Paul Anderson, you know. Right, I mean, right, he was right. Something else. And it was just an absolute shame that that happened to him. But I just mm-hmm. felt so, you know, like fortunate that I got to have that. Mm-hmm. You bet, you bet. And you were able to meet Ernie, I take it, at this meet as well? Yep, I met Ernie, and, uh, yeah, I met Ernie, and I said I met Brodsky and, and some other people and Amy and, and everything, and that's just how the APF was introduced to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like <clears throat> um, there's this song called The Ride. Okay. And it's about <clears throat> it's about a country singer who meets the ghost of Hank Williams and he gives him a ride to Nashville to become a And I felt like that sort of happened to me with him. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's deep right there. Kieran, when you think about it, like you guys had one of the last interactions with him, you know, as he took you to the airport, dropped you off and, and how, yeah. Could have talked to somebody along the way home, but just that to a power lifter. You know, right, right. right. And, you, and you think about that. What a what a legacy he passed, though. Obviously, because I mean, he right. he gave you guys that, and that's something we talked about actually on another podcast. Is you know the responsibility of lifters who are veterans uh, of the sport have to new lifters, and how how it is on us and it's impinged on us to uh, create that good environment and that good experience because you never know who it is. It's you know to to your point, sitting at an airport payphone trying to get a hold of a car. You know, right. or sitting at their first meet, wondering, you know, well, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. You know, think about how Maris obviously impacted you, Eric, and yep. uh, people like the Monster Garage folks have impacted me because they were I wasn't even part of their team, and they were you know working with me and helping me during my very first meet. Uh, heck, a guy a guy handed me a singlet at my first meet, and here you got you know you guys have flown you know a thousand miles from the Northeast, no one knows who you are, and right. and he just says, yeah, jump in the car, man, let's go. I mean, how how crazy is that? Just that you know the butterfly wings, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, gets me like choked up talking about it. even like, you know, that got me choked up <laughs> that, that song, the, the ride. I was going to, you know, I was really, you know, I was in 09 or whenever that meet was over in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was going to play it for my last two deadlift attempts. Ooh, man. Wow. But I never got to it, you know, because bombed in the squat along with about 30 other people that bombed in the squat. <laughs> sure. Sure. It was a horrible event, and you know that's life. Sometimes things don't happen the way you want. Right. right. But, you bet. You bet. But that was all like you know it was kind of going to be like my tribute to that moment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So thinking well, about I, so so you guys got you know you yeah. talked to Ernie and and you met him and so what made you decide you know what not only am I an APF lifter for life I'm going to go ahead and promote the federation I want to have APF I, meets I, where I'm at. like I went home I was the first person to bring the APF to New England okay, okay? like any credible form we had one guy whose name was Scott Taylor who was mm-hmm. a real unit okay he did a few APF meets um and 
for some reason he got kicked out of the federation. Is this the same Scott Taylor that runs the APA? Yeah, he started the APA. Okay. And I basically, he never, he never, all these meets that he had were in Connecticut. Okay. okay. He was, he used to, I remember my, my coach and a couple other lifters, we drove down to Connecticut from New Hampshire and did this meet. And Scott Taylor is coming, in no exaggeration, in a Honda Civic, okay, with lifting bars sticking out the back windows, <laughs> packed up with lights, Jeez. as many weights as he could take that he drove all the way from Vermont. And he was wow. like, good to see you guys. This is my seventh trip. And I was like, have you ever heard of a truck? Uh, it's a U-Haul, it, man, something. U-Haul, anything. And, wow. uh, you know, so, you know, I went, that's, you know, I, I did some of those, but I was like, I knew I could make it better. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I called, most likely talked with Amy, and then I became the chairman of New Hampshire, and then I started running, you know, New Hampshire APF meets and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, did the thing with Kedar City, that was APF, and just really, you know, that whole experience super affected me, and just was the the catalyst in me going APF. You know, to brought me to this point. Sure. Pretty much right now. So. And and when you had left, uh, was it Russ Barlow, who I don't know how what how you got yeah, to know him, but up in Maine. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, Russ showed me how to. He was the Maine State Chairman, but he also ran national meets and russ did show me how to like run powerlifting meets like he you know he showed me how to do it you know he used to announce a lot of my contests even in florida because i was at first you know you know everybody's like nervous about announcing if they never have before you know and and then i (laughs) and then i had uh a meet where he couldn't make it down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i had to do it myself and then I remember looking at um, who was ever helping me run the table. Like after I, and now it's like seven or eight squats. And I was like, wow, this isn't really that bad, you know. And then I just started, you know, kind of gravitating towards it. And then, you know, thinking of things to say to keep people entertained. And just kind of it all started from that moment. It was a little neat I did in South Daytona and my kids' uh, school. Oh, okay. It was a gotcha. Florida State meet that I did in uh, South Daytona, Florida. And, uh, yeah, and that's where, um, you know, I, where I started to, like I said, developing just a comfort for the announcing and then kind of, you know, it all went from there. Gotcha. gotcha. Took it to the WPO and all the other meets that I ran. Yep. So, obviously, you know, you've been involved in promoting for, for a long time, Kieran, and then, kind of how and why did you start the WPO? Kind of give us a little bit of history on that, like, you know, prior to the meet starting, and then, you know, what made you want to do that? I just, you know, it was, like, I would just go over to, you know, when we'd have meets overseas and stuff, and I just saw how receptive the general public was Mm -hmm. over there to powerlifting and strength sports, and it was just such a different element, you know? It's worship over there. It's crazy. Right. And, you know, and... And, um, I mean, I would just go over there and not even lift, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you get pictures and autographs and, and, and stuff, you know, when the the WPO was going on and we did stuff like I went over to Ukraine when we did that thing with Mendelssohn and Canelli. That was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, and then a lot of the other, you know, meets in Russia and Finland and just Europe in general. And, uh, 
And I just wanted that here, you know, I wanted that. I wanted us to be appreciated the same way I thought. You know, I just wanted it to eventually, you know, get, you know, I knew it was going to never be where anyone was going to make a living. I just wanted people to have, you know, a, you know, a, uh, just a nice reward for a good day on the platform if they had a good day. Sure, sure, sure. So, so you, you see everything in Europe and, and, you know, the, obviously, like you said, it, it is a culture, almost a religion over there when it comes to strength. And so as you saw that, you, you had the inspiration. So how did you decide to start it here in the States? Did you just say, hey, we're going to call this WPO? How did it actually come to be that you had the first first one and then continued it? Yeah, I, ha- I had it. The first one I had ever was in Daytona. Mm-hmm. And I had it, I believe it was in May. It was, a, it was in May of 2000. Okay. First one that I ever had. And we had um, Jesse Kellum came and Steve Goggins and uh, uh, Wade Hooper and um, let's see, um, Dondell Blue, Um, and then his his friend who's actually no longer with us, uh, Kirk. They call him Captain Kirk. Yeah, Kirkowski. Yeah, and uh, uh, Rick actually Ricky Lawrence even lifted in it. Yep. As well. Um, oh, Al Meehan did. Um, and there's a few others, but it was about 20 guys, I remember, you know, that were willing to make that, you know, to, to try it out. Mm-hmm. And, oh, oh, Gary Frank, obviously, duh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, and, and it, it went awesome. You know, we had the live a guy come, you know, that was a professional TV commentator, and he, you know, um, really just this, he and I kind of gelled nicely and he asked me all the right questions. And then, you know, that actually was, was, was filmed and it was put on TV on Fox sports. And, you know, um, I remember, um, watching it with my family around Easter and they were all down and they aired it for the first time. Mm-hmm. That was probably about a year, maybe, yeah, about a year after we had shot it. Sure. But that was the first one, and then I believe '01. I had the one in Orlando, where I put a lot more money in the meat. Turned it up being an absolute disaster. Okay, the the meat, but we just had all these issues with the Hard Rock Hotel and just some of the the, the um, just some of the logistical things of the contest didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever heard about it, but the meat went to like three in the morning yeah like, I, I think i've heard about that one from ernie about like hauling yeah. plates out at two yep, in the morning yep. it was absolutely awful it really was and then i had um yeah i had uh an issue with this lady that worked for me the embezzled some money from me that some of it was prize money some of it for my gym mm-hmm. i mean it was literally like three days after that meet that i found out about this you know oh, wow. not a, like worse timing Right. And, you know, it was more stuff that she had done running my gym, but it affected, you know, me overall. And I passed forward for a little bit. But, um, you know, then it was um, shortly after that that I recall. Um, remember his name was Gary from Columbus. Gary uh, he used to run the bench meet at the Arnold Classic before I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gary, um, 
he got they they released him after a while, and that's how I got my foot in the door at the Arnold Classic in about oh, I believe it was two thousand two. It was our first time. Okay. Sure, wasn't that where Anthony Clark did his infamous eight hundred? Yeah, and the the meet it went really well, you know, and I just brought the entertainment factor to it and got the crowd going. Um, um, just more and, and, and tried to, you know, create the character that I did with being, you know, like the head of it and always wore a suit and mm-hmm. sunglasses and just trying to try to be like the ringmaster of it and just got people excited about v- it. Very Vince McMahon. Right. <laughs> yep. very try- yeah, just tried to make it, you know, I, I really did. I tried to give it that WWE feel to it. That's where the, you know, the, uh, you know, with the card girls and the, the mm-hmm. pyrotechnics and the, you know, just the stage presence and making it so it was more than just, you know, a powerlifting meet, you know, that we normally have in a hotel or whatever, you know, to just really make it more uh, appealing to the, uh, you know, to the masses which was my thinking that hopefully this will draw more people's interest in it, and, it, and it did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, things started out with like a, you know, maybe seven, eight hundred people, and it kept growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. You know, by the last year that we did it, which was, you know, um, I believe it was 07, right? Right when Arnold ran for governor, that was the whole reason that we had to leave because of Arnold, you know, becoming governor. That's hmm. where they released us from the uh, <clears throat> the Arnold Classic. Even after we had, like, with our, our last year, we had more people watching. The, the that contest than there were at the night show of the Arnold Classic bodybuilding final. Wow, wow, that's that's wild. So, so you said it was because he ran for governor that, that they had to remove you guys? Yes, it was right after he ran for governor, and we had, you know, I mean, when I first, you know, met Jim Lorimer and um, one of a couple of his people that helped him run it, I believe it was his son and a few other people, and I, I told, you know, I told I, when I introduced gave him the idea you know the bench meets great and everything and it's you know a staple of the arnold classic and everybody likes it he goes but like if you let me bring three lifts here and people watch some of these guys from all over the world and i put some money in it and they and i remember them going to me that goes will it have a lot of shock value and i go the hell they go fucking right it will (laughs) yeah there you go shock value and uh you know and that's when we started having, you know, meets with 10, 12, you know, you have like eight, nine guys squat over a grand and mm-hmm. two squat at 11. Then one year, Jeff Lewis squatted 12 mm-hmm. and, you know, and just having all this just, you know, and then the, the big benches and the big poles and the, you know, we had that sick deadlifting machine there from the Ukraine, uh, Kutcher, Kutcher, his name was. Yeah, Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Alexander Kucher, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and deadlifting like almost seven fifty, I believe. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the, you know, the weight start, you know, I mean, you'd have the one sixty fivers come out, you know, like Tony Conyers and them guys, and and uh, one of the guys from Finland, his name's escaping me right now. It was difficult to pronounce. Sure. Um, but anyway. You know, and it for the the bar, you know, the first squad would be like, you know, seven seventy five to like eight ten for guys that, you know, were lightweights, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. It just started from there, you know, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, everybody's oohing and on and, and people are, you know, the crowd's getting bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, that's what I really wanted. You know, I know a lot of the lifters wanted the money and I get that and all, but I wanted to bring the entertainment value to it to like, to, you know, everyday people. And that definitely happened there. You know, the backdrop of the Arnold made that possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know? when Jack but, and I went and I want to say it was Oh five. I mean, there was easily 2000 people in the ballroom watching, I would say at any given yeah. time. Yep. And then it kept getting bigger from there, Eric. I mean, yeah, there was, there was almost, there was, we had a count of like almost 8,000 people the very last year we were there. Wow. That's during the upper seven thousands. I believe it was like, like 7,800 and, you know, like 93 people, something like wow. that. They had, you know, cause they had to, the fire marshals had to count it, you know, right. Right. We had times where we, we couldn't let any more people in. Jeez. That's that's a great problem to have. That's I, so I look forward to that. What happened was, you know, like what, what I wanted to happen, and it did. You know what I mean? I would I would just like you know during an intermission, and I would like walk out to go to the bathroom or whatever, <clears throat> and someone like some just like random people, okay, would like stop me and say, "They go, Kieran, this is just unbelievable." Mm-hmm. You know, started coming here in two thousand two because our daughter had you know gymnastics here. Or, karate or martial arts whatever the plethora of events that happened at the Arnold Classic and we just walked in here Mm -hmm. so like they're like they're a couple of like their kids were in college and they were still coming yeah like from like Iowa and Michigan and sure and and other parts of Ohio and you know Tennessee and whatever they were coming to watch powerlifting Mm -hmm. it's awesome so let's back up a little bit Karen um you know you've talked about prize money I know there were some issues throughout the years with prize money. Um, what you know, what happened with the prize money? Was it uh, sponsorship that fell through? Or main, yeah, I mean, the main one a major this sponsor duped me. Like I don't remember if you remember, you remember that this kid his name was Kyle. Um, he was a uh, he was born congenital amputee, mm-hmm. and uh, we had him. You know. He was a he played football in high school and he was a, a wrestler and he like overcame all these challenges. He was a great story and so this guy that you know uh, Louis Simmons introduced me to his name was Tony. His last name's escaping me, mm-hmm. but uh, he came to me first. He came he came to me you know and because I was trying to get you know outside of like you know before it was like metrics and we had twin labs and it was just like a struggle to get anything from these supplement companies you know sure and i was i was trying to get outside like i was like you know always envisioned having you know budweiser or pepsi or somebody you know Mm -hmm. actually corporate but so this guy he claimed he had uh you know connection with international truck and really we yeah and we he was like trying to draw these connections with like these motors that they made and like certain different lifters and 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 all that and you know it was it sounded all good and and everything and it, and it just you know <clears throat> with and he was very convincing and basically long story short this guy just used me and the Arnold Classic to promote Kyle His, you know, he did a show about him and he was the producer of it but you know mm-hmm. so the guy never came through with the money that he promised. Right. You know, like trying to get contracts 
and to sign contracts and he just kept like putting it off and, and, you know, and I, and I kept, you know, really getting nervous that this guy wasn't going to come through. Right. And then, you know, then he gave me about 10, he gave me like 10 grand, about two, you got 10 grand. He said it was from them, but it was like a personal check of his. Ooh, boy. Okay. And he said the rest would be there at the Arnold classic. And I just had to just trust him. And the guy, you know, obviously screwed me and it, took me about a year or so to get that, you know, uh, to get everybody paid off. And, you know, I, what happened, you know, I, I, I invested a little bit, you know, too much into it with my personal, you know, security. And I jeopardized some of my personal security and got in a bind. And that's, you know, one thing I never wanted to do again after that, you know, was over, even though I was very uh, bitter about Mr. Lorimer releasing, mm. you know, us from the Arnold Classic. Um, at the same time, you know, I had, you know, put myself in this spot where, um, you know, it was just hard for me to even, uh, you know, live and stuff because I had just spent way too much on powerlifting. Sure. Um, you know, I, I had no, you know, option or bailout or anything. I, you know, I was went to my family and they were like, you know, this is it, you know, and, uh, and I just had to eat it, you know? So, yeah. uh, it was just one of those unfortunate things, you know, that happened. Um, you know, it just, like I said, powerlifting just doesn't, you know, out of us, they, people kind of look at us as a, you know, like a, this black sheep sport, sure. and, uh, you know, and fuck them and whatever. And I think that's what this guy, Tony and I don't hold any ill will towards Louis or anything. He was trying his best to just make things help work, and but you know, he didn't know the guy that well either. And mm-hmm. so, but we took a I took a shot with him just to try to advance it to a better sponsor, and it just didn't work out. Right, right. I did end up getting you know after I got out of my own little hole for a little bit, and I got. And I was able to get a small loan, and then that's how I finally got everybody paid off. Mm-hmm. So eventually, so, eventually. And that was respectful and, and stuff. But you know, there, there was a lot of core guys that you know I could tell they really weren't that upset. There was guys that were, but mm-hmm. you know, nobody knew that you know, nobody, everybody knew they weren't going to get rich. You know, it sure, was just, right. You know, and I know that everybody wants the money, and that you know, life's not free by any means on all levels. But, you know, I, I had a lot of support still. I know a lot of people were mad. Some people, you know, <clears throat> tried to make it like I was the one that, uh, you know, fucked everybody over. And sure. that was not the case. I mean, I just trusted a person I shouldn't have trusted. And then again, you know, I delved a little bit into my own personal security mm-hmm. more than I could have just because I wanted it to work so bad. You know, I mean, I put... You know, not all at one shot, but I put over like $2 million into the sport. You know, some of it was prize money. Some of it was, was uh, uh, you know, for production costs. I mean, the productions were, you know, it was like, this was, the whole thing was like, I had the, 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 the very last one. It was like, you know, shit can the production, which was the reason everybody came to it. Right, okay? right. Or, or you know, have the meet in a, uh, you know, in a Holiday Inn on the outskirts of Columbus. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. As, yeah. Ex- as exciting as that is. Right. I mean, 
as somebody who went to the one in 05, I mean, that's what struck me was that, wow, I mean, this was not a regular powerlifting meet. It was, it was lights. It was card girls. It was loud music. It was a production, no doubt. Exactly. You know, and that was the whole point of it, you know, and, and, you know, some guys, you know, were like, well, why doesn't he just stop with the production and, you know, give us the money instead, you know? Sure. And, sure. And just no, no sport has ever worked out with one guy just footing the bill. Okay. Correct. No, no sport ever. Correct. Like professional boat racing is like a perfect example of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, it's never, it's a sport of just a bunch of rich people do, and that's it. There's no real spot. You have to have corporate backing sponsor to really, you know, to drive it home with the general public that it's a, a big deal. In you mm-hmm. know, yeah, you, you have to make it available to the masses. I mean, it can't just right. be, to your point, it can't be something for the elite or something for a right. very special few. Yes, yeah. the ones who are participating are, but not necessarily. Like, you should be able to envision yourself like, hey, I'm an average Joe on my couch. Maybe I could be up there someday. You know, something right. like that. So, exactly. so, so to that end, uh, you and, know, and, and, and then obviously like, you know, that was the whole point of it. Then it made the APF like grow in leaps and bounds because everybody wanted to get to the WPO. Right. That was the road to it. I mean, that was the road to it. That was the whole point. Right. Right. You know, and I wanted that for the APF, but I could have just started the APO. You know what I mean? But right. I wanted it to mean something. And that's why I wanted, you know, the APF to be the feeder program for it to be like the NCAA and then the WPO is like the NFL, NBA, whatever, you know, the, sure. the correlation between amateur and pro. Right, right. So so to that end, then, you know, the WPO was on TV, you know, at least once in the first iteration, you know, were there, were there other instances or other times where you guys were close to being on TV, oh, yeah. whether live or recorded or? Yeah, we, they, they did like... Do you remember? Do you remember when HT when when uh, H uh, High Def first came out? Yes. Okay, and it would only be like select channels. Yes. That had the HD before all the networks on it. So they did this, you know, like um, and it didn't just wasn't just about the W bill, but they had this Arnold Classic thing, and they had you know a lot of the WPO in it. You know, the, the one of the the you know, obviously a lot of people saw this, but like Arnold was, you know, over the moon about the WPO. He loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even this year with the no uh, audience, I heard that he was still in there watching it. Oh, yeah. I, I made it to one of his uh, one of his videos. So, yeah, that was, that was the, and, uh, the platform manager. Uh, he, he would, you know, because everybody had to, you know, if you were like had a booth or whatever. And, you know, you had like a, a paid sponsor and Arnold had a commitment. He's like, you know, breeze through and about. 45 seconds to two minutes you're mm-hmm. like hey hi, hi, click 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 and then move on to the next thing he had right. he we you know we we didn't bother getting a booth inside there was no point of it we'd have to have someone i think we did the first year but it just wasn't even worth it and we axed it right and then put it all inside the same 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 room you know and the, the room kept getting bigger and bigger over as the event got bigger right but um so you know i mean he you'd come up and stand on the side of the platform for 15 minutes. You know, that's like a lifetime for him at the Arnold. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he was so, you know, uh, one time he came up on the stage and the, the bench meet and he, I gave him the mic and he got everybody fired up and he goes, let's hear it for the power lifters. Can you imagine 700 pounds coming down? 
<laughs> that's amazing. Everybody friggin' oh, that's that's the clip that we do as the preview now. It's just Kieran doing yes, Arnold. Yes, no that's doubt. Amazing. Oh, that was a great impression. That was Thank you for one that. Of the biggest moments, you know, for powerlifting. Yeah. Just having him, you know, because you know that's what he started out back in Austria was powerlifting. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a national champion at like sixteen, wasn't it? If you if you want to have you know some you know you want to look good in your in your uh, in your speedos, you know you got to have something to some mass, you know. I mean that's how he started putting the size on, getting the you know the muscle mass so he could right. look like he did eventually. So you know, and a lot of you know there's you know a lot of uh, bodybuilders that use powerlifting and strength training to get a base, you know. Right. So. You know, just having his endorsement was huge. Yeah, just, we, you know, just his own personal interest endorsement. You know, it didn't even matter. Yeah, it wasn't just because you guys were there. He actually cared right. and wanted to be around he didn't it. Care, right. For sure. Yeah, Karen, we we chatted for a long time with the West Side versus the World producer, Michael Fahey, mm-hmm. and he talks about finding the old giant beta tapes at Rick Lawrence's, yeah. probably your storage units of some of the original WPO. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome we, uh, they're just, you know, it's just so crazy, you know, because, you know, the early 2000s was not that long ago. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. like, right. technologically, we're, like, you know, like in a different world, you know, compared to now. No you doubt. Know, it's, I mean, it's just these, these, these like, VCR tapes on, like, steroids. They're, like, friggin', you know, like, two feet long. And, uh, I mean. Powerlifting uh, stuff on steroids? Never. Come on. Come on, Karen. That's <laughs> not the VHS tapes, they were huge. They weren't even they they had actually a different name. They were like this special beta, but I mean they were they were no exaggeration. They were like about a foot and a half long by like a foot and a half deep. You had to have these special machines to play them yep, and they were yep. so hard to find something to transfer them digitally. We did some but not anywhere near so what we would have liked to was a, a huge shame, you know what I mean? It was like we just constantly had to, you know, move them around and you know, from storage unit to storage unit to box trucks. Some of them got damaged, you know, right. just from sitting in storage units in the heat in Florida, you know. But it was bit, there was plenty that if we could have found some way to transfer them, but it just was practically impossible to to do it with those type of tapes. Like towards the end, there was a few that had got smaller, more like in the VHS realm. I, I remember he was able to get some of it, but, you know, nowhere near, you know, the full capacity of it, you know. Right, the full effect of it. Right, the bulk of it, you know, so. Well, that I, know that, I know that Fahey is working on a new documentary, so I believe some of that footage <laughs> will be in there. The sad thing about it is that if just, it, you know, that, it didn't happen like where we're at now with the, you know, if, they, the, if it had happened in social media, if we had social media back then, I really feel that way. I mean, because just look at all the shit that's on TV now. You know right. what I mean? A lot right. of it I think has to do with social media. Uh, you know, I mean, there's some of this, you know, we have, you know, bringing, uh, you know, what's the thing where you throw the bean? Oh, the cornhole. The cornhole. You know, <laughs> Johnsonville sausage, for Christ's sakes. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, you know, plus the, you know, a lot of it has to do with the expansion of ESPN. They have done so much, you know, with, you know, ESPN one, two, three, and Ocho. And, you right. Know, the the Ocho is very important. They just need more content, you know, and we just, 
we just didn't, you know, have that back then, you know. Right. So we did. We did have shortly after, you know, I did with a, a, a guy, a friend of Rick's, and we edited a lot of regular meets. They actually got put on Fox Sports quite a bit, and I would edit them after, and I would try to say some of the stuff that you know I did in the WPO and 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 uh, um, it was called the Extreme Sports, and they did it for a little bit and just got. You know, uh, it, it was better than nothing. You know, I mean, people would call me now and then. You know, we see you on TV. And, sure. But there's like Southern States meets occasionally yep. at the senior nationals. Mm-hmm. This and that, but um, you know, like I said, I really feel like if I had the social media platform and my, you know, energy I had then, and 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 you know, just the things I knew what to say to get people going and occasionally get people to laugh and things like that i just you know not to two man who i just knew that you know not only certain people could carry it the way that i did sure sure that's something i'm proud of but i know that had a lot to do with it and um you know just the the just you know i over time was like listening to other sports and things and just try to develop my own little niche to try to you know make the sport more interesting Mm -hmm. so karen you talked about how you connected the wpo with the apf wpc and then at some point you actually bought the wpc from ernie you know why did you decide to do that and you know what was the process like there well you know i just like again i wanted it to the 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 affiliation of uh you know i wanted the apf and wpc to be the feeder for the wpo but i also you know had this allegiance to the APF and the WPC and, you know, and Ernie and, you know, some, we had some Rocky roads after that, some of the, after I took the APF over. Yep. Stuff. But, you know, it's all water under the bridge. I saw him last year and, uh, you know, something, you know, I don't, in general, I don't hold grudges that long. And uh, so, but I, back then at the time I was, you know, just it was something I wanted to do for Ernie. You know, I want. I just thought he deserved it. You know, mm-hmm. just uh, he gave us, you know, lifters that you know wanted some choices, the, the opportunity to choose, and we, you know, and he created that, and I was grateful for it, and I wanted him, you know, to get something for his, you know, you know how he, you know, struggled a lot, and, and you know, mm-hmm. sports, you know, it's a sports, not a real glamorous sport and uh you know and so i just really wanted to do it for him but the 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 main core reason was to align it with the wpl sure right that's the main core reason and you know and it's still it's even as of you know this resurgence of uh the wpl was so unfortunate this you know cv19 happened and there was no audience and everything but you know uh just in this uh, resurgence, the WPC and APF has also been instrumental as far again with you know the lifters got to come through it to get there, right. you know, and and that's uh, and that's important, you know. I, I don't, I'm not gonna you know super bash. I you know I used to get on you know there's uh, so crazy now just you know even how the technology and the uh, has advanced compared to like when we were on, you know, outlaws and 
we've wow, talked about that quite a bit on the show previously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's been like a long time now. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, you know, and, and you know, kind of bashing these fly-by-night federations and stuff, and just, just you know, just you know, I'm sure a lot of these guys meant well, and, and uh, I get it. But you know, without a, a, a without a true international body and a sanctioning body and established record and just history, right? You don't you just you don't have a federation. You just don't. Sure. You know. And so you know, it's a it, give them credit because they're an enormous federation. But the you know, the IPF and you know, I don't even know who they're affiliated with now. You know, is it USPA now or USAPL uh, still? USAPL still, yeah. The, the whole the holier than thou federation <laughs> because they have a huge national body and they you know the the the, the ipf's are huge and you know we're a close second and that's what gives us our legitimacy and without that right. you don't have legitimacy and it's and and i wanted that i just didn't want to like i said i could have started the apo if i wanted right you now to do the wpo but you know the legit the, the the having it the legitimacy of it was what was most important to me and that's why i wanted it and then it's the second day like i said just you know for ernie's commitment and hard work and just creating the this federation for us to all thrive in sure sure so let's let's fast forward maybe a little bit karen um to what unfortunately became the end of the wpo and I'm not sure if this was the situation you were talking about previously, but, you know, we had this incident with the two Ukrainian lifters in 07 um, that supposedly were going to pay, you know, as part of a guest lifter fee, never paid. You know, do you want to talk about that situation a little bit and what exactly happened there? I kind of forgot about that, honestly. But, yeah, I mean, we, we did do that, you know, to just try to get, you know, some extra money sure. into it. But I, I can't remember... Like, did they end up? Did they ended up not lifting though, right? Yeah, I th- it's hard to tell because I was reading through some of the old powerlifting USA's and some of your old posts, and it seems like a couple of Ukrainian lifters are supposed to pay a three thousand dollar guest lifter fee as yeah. part of the affiliation with uh, Ukraine. Right. Those are the ones that were the guest lifters that just weren't in the contest. That I would, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I would pick a handful. Right. You know, I would, you know, and they were obviously they were mostly men. And they were, you know, mostly the Europeans because they had the money and the sponsorship to do it. But, you know, I, I purposely, though, like picked, you know, like, uh, you know, like Kara Bohegan, you know, and um, Laura Phelps, Laura Phelps, you know, and Becca. And just because they had, you know, an, an appeal to them, uh, Jill Mills, you know, that yeah. just, you know, and, and. You know, like I'm, I, I won't, you know, deny it. I, I, you know, when I had to, I, you know, many people would say played favorites, whatever. I just wanted to have the best show possible for everybody. That was my whole point. Where I was like, you know, like the one thing that was nice about the WPO versus you know some of the politics in the APF and WPC was just like, you know, if I wanted to do something, I did it. Sure, you know, right. I can't do that, you know and have it for many, many years. And, you know, I used to get uh, accused of being a dictator. And in the WPO, I was, you know. Sure. And then in the APF and WPC, I wasn't. Right. So, right. you know, and, uh, and and I just, you know, and I, I knew I needed to be so things could be, uh, you know, the best, the best show possible, the best, you know, conditions, the best everything. I just wanted the best. 
Sure, sure. So, so, yeah. so talk about the WPO with, you know, obviously you, you guys left the Arnold Classic. There was the whole situation with that. So is the removal from the Arnold Classic, like, just ultimately what caused the hiatus of the WPO with you know, the 08 finals were scheduled for L.A. and then canceled? Just because without the Arnold Classic, you know what I mean? The, the, mm-hmm. the reality was the Arnold Classic was, you know, made the WPO. Sure. You know, the, the, that room that... Because you, you had the hardcore and the casual fans. You had everybody right. kind of together. Right. You know, and that was our, you know, that was like our, you know, our Super Bowls, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then we kind of go back to, I mean, in, in the semifinals and stuff, we'd get some good turnouts at them. But, you know, there was nothing like, uh, you know, we did that thing up in Georgia. And, you know, we'd get maybe, you know, four, six hundred people. But, you know, it was just nothing like, like that. And that's, you know, what the reason people the, the people that did sponsors because they were you know there was more people to see their product to be exposed to right you know but then also another thing that had a lot to do with it and you know the sponsorship opportunities dried up you know when the market you know ain't sure back there you know like what we're experiencing now but uh back in you know 07 or whenever it tanked and it was just harder to get any sponsorship money and i you know, I promised, uh, made promises that I won't, you know, put myself in my, jeopardize my personal security anymore through powerlifting. And I just had to go back to just, you know, making the APF and WPC the best it could be. And, uh, and, you know, obviously Amy has a, you know, a lot to do with that. I'm basically oh, yeah. all this with that. And, um, and, and, you know, there was just, the just the the reality of it. It was just hard. I wasn't. I knew I wasn't going to get any sponsorship money, and I just couldn't, you know, put tens of thousands of dollars of my own money into the sport anymore. Sure. Makes yeah, because because there was a report at one point that you were going to have the 2008 finals along with Scott Mendelson at some kind of expo in L.A. And then something happened between you and Scott, and that was canceled. And it seemed like after that, you know, it, there was never a rescheduling. Nothing ever happened between me and Scott. Like we had a meet. Mm-hmm. In L.A. at that expo, and nobody showed up for it. Uh, oh, gotcha. Nobody even came. Gotcha. Okay? And uh, the the fallout was with the people that uh, you know ran the you know that ran that expo. Hmm. But fortunately, you know Scott lived there and everything. We did a big seminar and you know question and answers, and you know people talked to him, and you know he's you know about as big a character as there is. Sure. And, uh, sure. Uh, you know, we made the best of it, but yeah, we never even had a meet there. It didn't even happen because nobody even came. Got it. Got it. It was, it was a very uh, bizarre situation, but um, hmm. uh, yeah. So nothing really ever took off in LA. We had one good senior nationals out there, you know, with uh, you know with Nance and her. You know, I don't believe they're together anymore. I. I uh, Vigliano. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think Joe. They helped, us, they helped us run that meet, you know, and, and Mendy was there, and that was a, a really that was probably our most successful APF meet that I was ever involved in. That was in you know L.A. Mm-hmm. But that whole expo just never took off. Sure, never had anybody show up for it. Sure. So you alluded to it a little bit, Karen. Um, those of that have been around a while knew you as being very, we'll say 
strongly worded on some of the internet message boards. <laughs> um, some of my old favorites were when you used to call people crying ball babies. <laughs> um, and another one of my favorite rants was when you called the UPA the Unnecessary Powerlifting Association. Which I agree with 100%, by the way. That's amazing. <laughs> but What about the SPF? Uh, I don't the, the the slightly parallel federation. <laughs> uh, I I called it the shitty Powerlifting Federation, but I, that was so much better. <laughs> slightly. Because you'd be lucky if the light, the lift was even parallel. Well, if you if you unrack it, it's one white light, just right there. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it seems like in the age of social media, uh, and I, especially when you go on. The comment section of Facebook or the comment section of Instagram, it's it's at least as toxic as it was back then. But it seems like in recent years, you've definitely taken a much more hands-off approach to anything. I mean, you check your Instagram, it's basically just you fishing. Um, Why why the change? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just asking. No, no, just, you know, what, what happened with me as far as my, you know, uh, personal lifting you know, in about, you know, probably like when I turned about 44, 45, I went out of this, you know, niche where I'd compete about 290, 295. My off-season weight would be like 310. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in that niche from like, you know, my 20s till I was like my early 40s. And then, you know, and then one day I got on the scale and I was 355, you know, and I was like, holy shit. You know I mean? I, I didn't even you know, feel it coming, you know, you know, those big guys who wear, you know, baggy shit and, you know, shit that stretches, you know, you know, we, we just like to be comfortable when we're bigger. That's all. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and then my weight just became like a real issue. You know, sure. I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't compete the way I was. I mean, I would, I, I could still squat and bench. Okay. But I remember it just one meet that I was trying to make a comeback. Like I, you know, I wanted to, I would have done pretty well, you know, like this, uh, I was trying to have like my last hurrah as far as, you know, three lift meet when Brian Batchelder held that meet over in England, they had the absolute worst conditions. Like I'm, you know, I know power lift is not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be like lifting in your gym. That's the whole point of it is going to advert, you know, different conditions and still excelling. Okay. Right. right. He, he he had like an Olympic platform for the squat platform. Like the, you, you just, you were up there and you just, your feet were like just reverberating up and down. You couldn't even, the weight would never even settle. Oof. Right. I mean, I ended up, I bombed out. I, I, I went down, you know, I, I, I lost my balance twice, like around halfway down. Cause I just couldn't, the weight never settled, you know? Right. Right. The third time I went down, I ended up, you know, tearing my lower back and, uh, you know, pretty, not severely, but bad enough where I took me about, you know, six months to recover from it. Sure. Sure. And, uh, and I was really hoping that was going to be kind of my, you know, last hurrah and I was going to, you know, really focus on losing weight and stuff. And I was pissed that that didn't happen. And I believe it was, uh, you know, like 2010 ish. 11. I was trying to, you know, I had healed up from that and, uh, you know, but I was, you know, I was like 355, 360 and, 
you know, my squat depth was like not as good as it was. They couldn't get down as low. Like I was like, you know, I was borderline on everything. It could have right. gone either way. Right. You know, my bench was was still not bad, but uh, you know, not as impressive because I was so much heavier. Now you got a built built in two boards that helps. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> and then I uh, and and then my deadlift just you know went from the mid sevens like back down to to like even worse than. Like, you know, even in my prime, you know, uh, I remember I bent down and I did a, a 640 opener and I couldn't even pull it. Wow. Sorry, I, I pulled 600 and then I went to 640 and I couldn't even do it. Wow. I just couldn't get down low enough. And I was like absolutely mortified. And but I knew the reason why, you know, <laughs> and then. You know, a couple of, couple of uh, you know, months later, just like I woke up one night, like, like gasping, and I pulled my sleep apnea mask off, you know, and like I felt like I was gonna freaking, you know, I thought I was gonna be done, and then I had sure. another incident where I felt some, you know, chest pain, and I was just like, you know, I was like, I think I need to worry about not dying, and. uh that's a that's a good thing to to be concerned about is not dying. <laughs> I didn't want my parents to have to come to my funeral. Yeah, kids and all that, friends and and so, you know, and I just had to make that decision. And you know, even though, even if I mean, I obviously could train if I wanted to, but I, you know, I lifted from the time I was, you know, like when I that first time I went in the YMCA, I was twelve. Right. right, I lived actively until I was forty-five. It's a good long you know, career, which is you know like a lifetime. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you know, uh, of you know if you, you when you can you know like uh, say like a master lifter is like there's very few like Ernie Francis and 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 uh, you know Louis Simmons and um, I'm trying to think of this other guy, but uh, Buddy. Um, to live down in Georgia and did a lot of meets in the U.S. Buddy McKee? Buddy, yeah, Buddy McKee. I know who you're talking about, too. Um, he was a USPF guy. Ernie and he used to compete against each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter. But guys that started as young men and lifted long, 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 you know. 40, 50 years. Dead, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah, that's that's know, the anomaly. Right. That's the anomaly. There's there are like a handful of guys that 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 did that and um, have done that and um, you know and it's like and it's 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 if you whenever you discover powerlifting and if it works for you, great. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But if you're you know you can't compare someone that doesn't discover lifting until they're 48. You know what I mean? And then you know lift into their 60s. Their their body hasn't experienced all that wear and tear sure. from from, you know, as a young man through, you know, into your prime, starting to slip and then, you know, you know, and then you're just not, you know, what you used to be, you know, because of father time or whatever. Sure. So, again, my weight was a big issue, but like I have also some arthritic things. My my left hand really bothers me. Like, I don't even think I could hold 500 pounds on any deadlift anymore. Oh, wow. I mean, just my three fingers bother me all the time. Sure, sure. I take supplements that, that does help, and if I don't take them, it, it after about two weeks, it like literally 
it's it's like it's like all I can notice. It's like constant. Right, right. So one of those you things know, where you you, you yeah, can't tell if you take it, but you definitely tell if you don't yeah. take it. And and my my mother has a really bad form of arthritis. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was to continue doing it, you know, I mean, I already feel like you know. Like if I get up off the floor and stuff, like like you know, why does that you know hurt as much as it does at you know fifty two, which is you know spring chicken, but it's not old by any means either, you know. You and uh, and and I just like feel more stuff than I feel that I should, which if you got me concerned, you know, and uh, I might even have to lose some more weight just so my body, you know, is on has less stress, you know. I went. From about, you know, about it's been about three years. I lost about 110 pounds. Nice, and went awesome. About you know, almost 370 down to about 265, and then I kind of like you know, you know that was about three years ago. I've planed out. Like I, you know, I, I did this thing called the HCG diet to help me finally get under 300. I had <laughs> lost 50, 60 pounds. Of, hundred times over and get stuck at like 315 and I could not get lower you know sure sure and uh you know then Thanksgiving would come around and I would just you know then it all started to be 345 again 350 and so this HCG diet was a is a uh you know I mean we all you know what you know HCG people use it for and lifting and all that to mm-hmm. go back to their natural uh you know system and cycle and all that but you know Somehow, it's, its original intent was for pregnant women that were like underweight mm. to drop their fat stores so their baby had more optimal nutrition. And then they they saw in the process that you know that uh, what it does it puts your body in this state where you literally you live off your fat stores. Okay, hmm, right, interesting. So you live off your fat stores and you can safely eat way less than you normally would. Okay, gotcha. you can eat like about 800 to 1,000 calories. And it's monotonous, but it's surprisingly you're never hungry. It's it's like, it's very incredible, honestly. Eric's pointing at me saying maybe you should try that because I'm a little yeah. bigger than the average bear. I was more <laughs> saying that's like a meal for Bane. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the average, you know, you know, stop at McDonald's, you like, you know, get a, any combo, you're scarping down probably 2,500 in one shot. Oh, it's you know? not... Not uh, unfair to say that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it was, it just really helped me, you know, get to uh, the point where I finally got under 300 and I, mm-hmm. you know, maintaining about 275, 280 for about three years now, right. you know, and it, where I can do like different forms of exercise that, uh, you know, I couldn't do before, you know, like I can, uh, you know, uh, you know, like about two or three times, about two, maybe like three, four times a month, I'll like rollerblade about eight to 10 miles and, you know, like stuff like that I could never do before. Do you, you wear know? short shorts when you rollerblade or? <laughs> I wear my single at. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. And, uh, and just, you know, like I did some, some like, uh, some rock climbing with my wife last year up in Maine that I normally would have never been able to do. And, so just, you know, it, it's made it where I can do, you know, you know, I'd much rather be lifting heavy weight with that great adrenaline rush that comes with it. But sure. you know, now I've had to just turn it into like a lifestyle of being healthy and, 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 you know, 
my whole goal is to never be over 300 pounds again. And, you know, like I said, just some of these issues that I've had are arthritis and stuff. I think I might even try to, you know, lose another 30 or so here. You bet. Um, I do it again. So, so was it kind of an all down here, you know, cause it's freaking all you can do is eat and, you know, the boredom factor is not good here with trying to not gain weight. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dan and I felt that. So was it kind yeah. of an all health kick? I mean, because the original question, we were talking about the old school crazy Internet post, Karen. Was it just kind of a change in philosophy overall? And... No, just basically the, my health, you know. And mm-hmm. it just because I couldn't lift anymore, you know, in some meets that I went to, that it was, uh, it was, you know, it was depressing, you know. I'm sure. It, right. You know, I mean, I even at the Orlando meet um, that we had that that Wayne, you know, and Amy had there. Um, you know, I started kind of feeling that again. I mean, I was glad to be there and I enjoyed seeing everybody and you know, but it was you know, it did you know bum me out a little bit because I do you know miss miss it you know because the was a huge part of my life. Sure. Yeah. And sure. so, but that's kind of the reason I've stepped back from it. It's like hard for me to be around it and not, you know, because even, you know, even in the height of the WPO where I might not have been competing as much, you know, because mm-hmm. I was busy, but I was still constant. I was still always lifting. I was always, you know, trained at Southside Barbell that time. I'd even, you know, make trips up to West Side and, you know, even train there and with, in hopes of, you know, getting another, you know, PR total in. Like I knew I was capable of totaling over twenty five hundred. Mm-hmm. I should have been able to do that if things were better at that meet overseas. Well, um, Bachelor is no longer with the WPC. I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got Emma now, of course. Definitely, that was a great move. And yeah, she's so she's glad. awesome. She's great, and very loyal, and she always has been. So I was very happy about that. Yeah, she's a great great friend to to the WPC, yeah. the ABPU, and and to and to us obviously as well. Uh, so so thinking about like the WPO now, you know, you, you mentioned you came to the the rebirth in in Orlando. What are your thoughts on Wayne? You know, and what he's done restarting the WPO. Give us some of your insight on that. I mean, you know, I think it's great. You know, and I I think the you know just the the timing of it all is better because of of uh, you know like I said the the ESPN expansion and the mm-hmm. possibility of having it more on TV and then obviously social media. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just don't want to see him getting over his head with it either at the same time where, you know, uh, you know, he puts himself in a situation financially or otherwise or whatever. I, I just, I think, you know, like I, I thought that the, um, you know, even though there was some issues with that meat, you know, it was kind of going a while and, it was more after the contest, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I just thought that was perfect. You know what I mean? It was like the, it, it had some pizzazz. It had some entertainment. It had, you know, uh, some spotlight on the lifters. But it was like a more manageable. You know what I mean? Right. Where it was, you know, where it's something that you're not going to ever lose your shirt on. You know? Right. But in general, I'm I'm glad. You know, he's got it back. That he that they brought it back, and I. You know, I really hope the best for him. I, I wish that, you know, them, like I said, all the best. And, uh, you know, I just can't be involved with it. It's, you know, uh, 
you know, on a, as far as promoting it, uh, you know, I have lots of other investments and things now that I just have to pay attention to. And I just really sure. don't have the time to, 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 you know, really be full into it anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but, you know, I really hope it works out. Like I said, I was really sad to hear about, you know, what happened there with no crowd and all anticipation of it being at the Arnold for the first time in a long time. And yeah, so hopefully, you know, next year it'll still be able to happen and, uh, you know, they get it, but it's, you know, it, at least it did happen, you know, and they, the lifters did get to at least compete and do what they had to do to go to the next, you know, phase of it. So, uh, it's better than being, you know, totally canceled. Like a lot of people are experiencing. Certainly. We I mean, we had just postponed the APF nationals again now, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We know. <laughs> Trust me. I was, I was bummed about that earlier this week till, uh, yeah. till last night. So I haven't heard anything about Louisiana the last week or two. So I thought that that was going to definitely happen, but yeah. Yeah. No dice. So it, it seems like even though, despite, you know, you had some of the issues with the prize money and, you know, there was other issues with the original WPO, all these years later, it still had, you know, value. That name still had, you know, something that were lifters wanted to come to it. So you obviously did something right. Um, yeah. It, it never, you know, it, 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 you know, it kept the, the its pizzazz. I mean, everybody knows, okay, that that was the greatest time in powerlifting ever. That, you know, as far as legitimate, you know, attraction as far as, like, outside the realm of powerlifting getting random people into it sure you know prize money the the you know the lights camera action aspect of it is what made it great you know and so people never forgot about that people always you know when i'd see them at at at, you know apf meets or whatever it was just you know always you know there'll never be another wpo and there'll never be nothing like that and so i knew the effect that it had on people you know and, and it's always stuck with them and if uh you know, if it uh, comes back, I mean, you know, great. I mean, I, I really hope it does. But, um, again, I just don't want to see anybody, you know, get, uh, uh, you know, get in over their head, you know, or, you know, get in a situation like I did and stuff. I just hate for that to happen to Wayne. So I just hope they do it on a level that they can manage. That's my biggest advice to the whole to the whole resurgence of it, that uh, not getting in too deep. Yeah, sure. So kind of along that same line of thinking, uh, Kieran, what do you think the WPO needs to do differently this time versus what you did back in the early 2000s? Um, Like, I think they made a good start by having it by formula, you know, like making it where it's, uh, you know, it's where there's there's not as many uh, divisions, you know, where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I encourage Wayne to do that, you know, to just and keep it where it still mimics and is still similar to the WPC structure and not have the separate rules like we did where, you know, uh, I did those things to make it, uh, you know, the sport have as much entertainment value and make it simple for the average person to watch. Sure. Right. But, uh, you know, that was then, this is now. And I just think that, uh, uh, you know, for the purpose of the WPC and, 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 you know, uh, it's great to have everything funneled through there, but just have the same rules as the WPC. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I encouraged him to do that as well. Um, so I think really those two things are, are 
are good and just keep it at a manageable level and uh and and, and you know just do the best they can i mean i i think it's you know off to a good start yeah and i you know this um guy mike that's involved he's really good i've had you know a lot of conversations with him mm-hmm. we had a long one with him <laughs> oh my god yeah we did these <laughs> yeah, are very you know i was surprised you know for you know a production guy that you can tell he's done a lot a lot of research on the sport i mean a shit ton yeah so, I'll, I'll tell you if you listen to our interview with him uh from a few weeks ago i mean he talks about like he trained at Westside when he was a kid like he, he yeah. went there with his dad on a visit it's he, he's he was not ignorant to the sport by any stretch so yeah i think you know he's definitely done a great great thing so far with it he told me he did he told me that mm-hmm. it's like some of uh i mean just you know the numbers that he was able to spit out like you know uh you know raw lifters and uh you know versus equipped and mm-hmm. you know, just federation numbers and and uh you know i was really impressed with him on that for I, sure he was so Thinking about kind of like the bigger picture with, you know, obviously we've mentioned, you know, the, the APF, the WPC, the WPO. What are your thoughts on the current state of the APF and WPC and, and just powerlifting in general right now? I mean, obviously you've you've got a lot of history with it. You know, what, what are your thoughts on the current state of it? Well, you know, it's definitely changed, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, it's obviously, you know, the, um, you know, the raw part of it's become so big, you know. Yep. Um, That's me. Yeah. And it, it's, it's good, and I'm glad that, you know, it brings, you know, more people in to the Federation and, and all that, and that's great. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not really that crazy, though, about it being, you know, beyond just a belt. You know, like, it's, to me, it's like, you know, I don't know how to classify. Maybe it's hybrid raw or whatever, but where they've now allowed knee sleeves in some situations and, you know, mm-hmm. this class of raw and, and all that. But, you know, these are things, like you said, that, you know, that's why they have the board and, you know, that's what the board wanted and that's fine. And I'm not going to, you know, make a big deal about it. Right. But that's one thing I'm not, you know, crazy about the, how the raw has splintered off so much. But um, well, how, how else are you going to get your plastic trophy to tell all your coworkers about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. you know, and I, I don't, I don't like the, you know, it, it, it makes it a little more watered down, you know? Uh, oh, no doubt. Which, you know, I've never been, a you know, a big fan of I, I you know i i always wanted to honestly like i wanted to, to make the masters in like 10 year divisions i remember i proposed that one time and he wrong really thought that, <laughs> i mean I, I must have saw like about 40 jaws drop at one time i was like okay i guess we won't do that <laughs> take take that as a you hard know, pass it's just uh you know I, I this is the way i am you know just there's a there's the two sides of powerlifting. You know what I mean? You have the the person that, you know, like my reason I kept doing it is, you know, I played sports. I loved football and played hockey and, and all that. And then, you know, and I, I started lifting, you know, like I when I started doing it, I was, was, you know, and hardly anyone even lifted back then. It was like, mm-hmm. wow, like I'm getting stronger and I'm killing everybody, you know, on the field, on the ice, on, you mm-hmm. know. Because, you know, so that was where I first started it. But, then, you know, then after school was over and just, you know, it was a way to keep competition in your life, you know. <laughs> and then, and, and, and you the person, you know, that thrives on competition. And then, 
you know, and that's the type of lifter I am. You know, like Gary Frank is, you know, the people that have like a real sporting background first, you know. Right. But then you have the other side of where, you know, the person that might have got like picked on when they were younger or they have some other, you know, aspirations in life that come first and they don't rediscover it till later, you know, and um, in my dealings, these are the people that really like the, you know, the more watered down competition, the five year increments, the, you know, everybody gets a trophy, uh, type of mentality. <laughs> right. you know, it's kind of like expansion of youth basketball. <laughs> you know? Sure. Nice. Everybody, everybody wins, but. You know, if if everybody's like, special, no one's I've special. I never uh, liked it. I just always, you know, as a as an athlete, as a you know competitor, I want to compete. I mean, I would rather come in fourth with a PR total than win and lift shitty, but have been unopposed. You know, right? So, right. But you know, everybody looks at stuff different. And that's just how I looked at it, and wish ideally that's how it was. But you know, um, again, I've always prided the APF and WPC on being about choices as well. So, you know, we let people have choices and choose what's best for them. So, you know, uh, you got to sometimes turn your, you know, your personal feelings to what's best for the Federation and for everybody else. Sure. Sure. For sure. So you've talked a little bit about some of your health issues, losing weight, Karen. Um, You talked about going back to the 2018 worlds and, and seeing what was going on there. Um, yeah. Is is there a chance we'll ever see you back on the platform again someday as a masters I, competitor? I, I highly doubt it. Okay. If 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 uh, you know if somehow I can like get some of these aches and pains and things to go away, you know, possibly. But you know, like I said, my left hand is a real a real issue, and um, you know, I, I just, it's hard for me to like even when I just do you know, like general wellness stuff and, and mm-hmm. do a bunch of reps with, you know, bar uh, dumbbells or whatever. Just even when I let go of them, I like really feel it. And so I just, you know, you know, I've taken a lot of toll. It's taken a lot of toll on me, you know, for, you know, since I did it from a very young age, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, 12 to 45 was, was, you know, <clears throat> was a long time sure but that that wasn't a hard no so you're saying there's a chance (laughs) maybe i could bet we'll see i don't know okay you know we do a great pressing the pieces together for autism meet here at 2xl be a great chance for you no i haven't even i haven't i haven't benched in three years i haven't squatted or deadlifted Seven years. I, I will so, tell you what, Kieran. You ever come back on the platform? I will bring the same hype I do to the WPO just for you. <laughs> yeah, of course. You're always welcome up here in Chicago, Kieran. Yeah, no, I'm. I love Chicago. I've always loved coming up there for the meets and you know going to the city after and stuff. We had you, bet. Some, you bet. We had quite some eating adventures after powerlifting meets in Chicago. That's for sure. Well, there's places to eat if you like eating. That's why I'm a yeah. 275er, and I probably should be a 220er. So. <laughs> Well, Karen, I told the story, I think, last week about when you and I, Jackie and Gary Frank oh, yeah. and some of your crew went out to the Brazilian steakhouse and like the, the, the waitress pointed to me and said, you know, kind of laughed like, you're a power lifter? Because <laughs> meanwhile, everybody else at the table is like 300 plus. I know. 
But that, I've always said that that's a one, you know, the, the, one of the underappreciated things about powerlifting is that people don't realize that, you know, strength and power comes in all sizes and forms, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And, um, you know, like I used to, I used to like would watch and I would, you know, uh, uh, you know, watch these, you know, the Wade Hoopers that Tony Conyers and, you know, like squat 800 and everybody be like, yeah, you know, great job, you know, guys. And then, you know, some 330 pounder would come up and squat like 920. Everybody freak out. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, you know, just this association with, you know, bigger, the, the better, whatever. And just, right. you know, felt like God, these guys are lifting like five times their body weight. You guys don't even get how amazing this is. Right. You know? Right. For sure. For sure. And well, you guys put away some food at that uh, Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> as I remember <laughs> you and Gary Franken crew, man. Oh, I, uh, I can imagine that. Jeez. Yeah, the Brazilian steakhouses are, they are something else. I've tried to stay away from them now. It's not, I still go to them occasionally, but buffets are not as, as, as frequent anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, heard with the, I heard now with what's going on right now that buffets might become a thing of the past. I also heard that, and I, I, I died a little on the inside. I cried. Can you imagine? <laughs> that was just awful I mean, nah, it's horrible i don't even i want to live in a world with all the faith exactly Ex <laughs> yes yes priest that right there i don't want to live in a world with no buffets <laughs> well karen it's been a pleasure talking to you and and kind of reminiscing yeah. on some of the things of the past so where where, where um, what's this going to be played on your podcast you said yes sir we'll uh we'll play it on uh, it's on the, it's called the strength and Agar podcast it's available mm -hmm. on uh your Apple Podcast Player, Spotify, um, Google Play, and then eventually we'll put it up on YouTube as well. That takes a little longer, though. Yep, and then uh, Anchor.fm as well. Anchor.fm, yes. Okay, Mr. Bain, there we go. That was awesome interview. Great stuff. Thank you, Karen. I mean, yeah, I know you don't have – I've known Karen basically as long as I've been in the sport. Yeah, um, I, I've, I, I'm almost positive I've not met him in person because I don't think he was at – 2019 worlds last year he was not he was at 2018 okay. worlds and, and yeah. wpo finals um you know really interesting getting to hear his perspective on some things yeah i think especially now that he's kind of gone away from from everything with the wpo we, he, he has some pretty good perspective i think so and on things um we had a little bit of anger out of him just a little yeah, no, there's definitely still some anger there. Um, he's definitely calmed down a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, he didn't really answer my question on... No, at uh, all. On, ...on the internet. No, but I think what he was trying to get at was that because he took kind of a step back from the sport mm -hmm. for his health, that he just wasn't involved in the internet message yeah. boards anymore. And, and, and that it, makes sense. And I think he's also, in general, kind of like... I don't know. I don't know if it calmed down is the right word, but like I think he adjusted his life philosophy and his, yes. his approach to life for sure. He's definitely more of a a, a cooled off, you know, m more easygoing perspective on life. Just talking to him now versus talking to him back in the day. I mean, yeah, when he started going off on the slightly parallel federation and stuff, <laughs> that's how he was like twenty four seven before. Yeah, that that was awesome. I. I will say just reading some of the, the old message boards and then, you know, talking to him now, like, yeah, definitely he is, he is much more thoughtful, much more introspective on, you know, kind of for him, what matters. And, you know, in his case, he's talking about, you know, Hey, I, I yeah, lifting's awesome. It's a big part of my life and I appreciate it. I appreciate the relationships mm -hmm. and everything, but man, I just want to live. Yeah. I, I just want to live. And he had his run in powerlifting to be yeah. fair. I mean, he 30 plus years and he's still involved. Um, 
you know, he did get himself and the organization in some trouble at times with some of his sure. internet posts. They weren't sure. wrong per se. They were um, aggressive. They were aggressive, and it was kind of like you know when I was talking with my wife Jackie about it earlier. <laughs> and and don't take this as a political thing. Nope. Um, but he does have that same kind of like Donald Trump, uh, like. At, at that time, not anymore, I don't think. No, but at that time, he had that Donald Trump, like, tell it how it is kind of thing. And some yep. people loved it, mm-hmm. and some people hated it. Right. Um, and he he definitely, as he talked about, he also had some hate from prize money situation with the WPO. Sure. And whenever you run an organization like that, there's always going to be politics involved and people with, pissed off about things. When there's money involved, people are always going to get shitty. Yeah. And... Uh, I was trying to pull it out of him uh, from what I'm told. And I don't know this for a fact because I don't, I, I didn't see the checks yep. from what I was told um, from Karen and others. He eventually paid everyone the prize money he promised. Yeah. And I think what he was getting at at the end of the interview with, with uh, Wayne Pullum was, Hey, don't get your skis too far out in front of you. Yep. I think Wayne has done that. Okay. So far, given that he hasn't really guaranteed any prize money. One of the problems with Kieran mm-hmm. back in the original WPO is that he guaranteed really big prize money yeah. to bring the lifters in. I mean, not only did he guarantee prize money, he told you if you broke a world record, you got more, you got a thousand dollars for each world record you broke. Yeah. And so he talks about it and I don't know that he wanted to go into it too much, but I do know. And he did say, he, yep. he, he said he put probably $2 million into the <laughs> WPO. Dude, both of us were just like, wow, that's a lot of money. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, from, from what I'm told, I don't think he's bullshitting there. Yeah. Um, he, and he put money into the APF to keep it going at times, uh, after the, especially after the WPO kind of folded and we saw a downturn. Um, there was some, some personal money that went into a nonprofit organization, the APF, just to kind of keep it afloat and be able to keep Amy Jackson on, uh, you know, and keep her salary paid throughout that time. You bet. So, yeah, it, it's interesting going back into some of those issues. He's, he's a bit of an anti-hero where, like, he, he's done some great stuff, but definitely he's ruffled some feathers. No doubt. And going back, I sent Bane some of the old you – know, some of the old message boards are gone. Yeah. The only remnants of them are really powerlifting watch. Right. Um, and they, they were really big around that 05, 06, 07 era. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff prior to that is gone. Um, at that time – powerlifting watch was was like going out and finding stuff it wasn't taking it was going out and aggregating and almost like stirring shit up you could argue heard that too uh because they would go out and find internet posts and and you know it was a blog what do y'all think right hey here's what karen kidder said what do you think you know uh there's some with me in there oh eric stone is attacked by so-and-so what do people think um so that was and eric says Wrong. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think he had some good insights for the future of the WPO. For sure. And uh, it's interesting to me, or to me, I've never really heard the story of how he got his start in powerlifting. Yeah. How was, he got his start in promotion. Dude, then, it seriously sounded like a movie intro. Yeah. And then and additionally, his original vision for the WPO. People don't realize it. And I was there. I saw it. I mean, the crowd at the original WPO at the Arnold Classic was huge. I mean, unbelievable. Dude, I, I oh man, I've, and that, I've that heard is, stories of it. That and when I talked at the end of the interview about how yeah, there were some issues with the WPO, there were some pissed off people. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when you give it some perspective and people, you know, their angle anger subsides 
and he eventually pays everybody what they owe, they're owed or supposedly pays yep. everyone what they're owed, there was still some value in that name, WPO. People are still talking about it. They, they talk about the current, but they also talk about the old ones. Because I'm telling you, the production value of what he did, mm-hmm. um, it definitely was bigger than what we've seen with the first WP, re-WPO. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably similar. You, you know, you didn't have the same TV production as you had in the, the Super Finals right. in October, but it was definitely a bigger production. And I'm not putting anything against what was done at the semifinals. No. But I can tell you what the old Arnold Classic was. I mean, it was a gigantic ballroom, thousands. I mean, he's not exaggerating. Every year the ballroom got bigger. We talked mm-hmm. about this with Amy Jackson. Yep. Every year the ballroom got bigger. Every year the crowd got bigger. And the production value of what Kieran did back in those days was top-notch. Yeah. And, and I think that's his vision was you leverage that production value so that eventually outside you know investment comes in and says, we want to be a part of this. And I feel like Wayne is getting that way too. You know, Again, we're not going to get too far out over the skis. Right. But I feel we like, hope. hey, we're going to keep putting out quality product. And you know, obviously, Michael plays a big uh, role in this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get it on these online plat- streaming platforms, then you can leverage that as well. Right. And so I feel like... And, and because as opposed to leveraging being at the Arnold Classic. Right. And we're doing it in a... In a and I say we just because you know, obviously you and I uh, do play a part in the production of, of the WPO right. over the last few years. Uh you know, we're doing it in a way that is multifaceted. It's multi-platform, and it's giving people a 360-degree, or as close as we can, 360-degree view of what this WPO series is. And so, I think that's it's a big positive. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, appreciate talking to Karen and Definitely. getting his perspective. Uh, he's been very quiet over the last, uh, I would say, five, six, seven years. But sure. he is still behind the scenes. I can tell you, as somebody who's on. Now the APF Executive Committee, he's still involved in the organization. He's still the WPC, w, WPC CEO mm-hmm. slash owner. Um, but at this point, he basically lets the board handle you know, what goes on yep. and the decision-making he's, process. He's a figurehead. Yeah, he's let Gary Frank take over as APF president. He's yep. let Mike Sweeney take over as WPC president. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it was nice to talk to him. I've not – Definitely. I, I haven't really sat down and talked with him in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so nice to talk with him. And then it, it leads us kind of into next week's episode. Oh, yeah. We're going to bring back on – get strap in, folks. <laughs> strap in. We're bringing Michael Fahey back on oh, next yeah. week. And, you know, we really had about three, four, five questions more directed towards the WPO. Mm-hmm. We started to talk about that, but I don't know that we talked about it as much as we could have. No, no, because we, we were get already into... two and a half hours into the interview. <laughs> um, I was telling one of my clients today that I think we asked Michael two questions and it was an hour. Yep. It was like, how did you get into film? And then how did you pick Westside? And that was over an hour probably. Yeah. I mean, we got, I mean, it was all good stuff. It's awesome. I mean, we hear about his dad. We hear about this, this amazing history. It's awesome. So I'm very excited to have Michael back on kind of, I don't say finish that interview, but just continue that conversation. Yeah, continue the conversation. And and I think it's a good follow up to talking about the history of the Mm -hmm. WPO is now talk about, you know, the plan and where the WPO has been and what his vision is ideally for the future because i know he does have a vision oh he does as somebody who's uh who's thinking a couple steps ahead yeah and it's i think it's excellent to have guys like him and guys like uh wayne that you know have that that big picture vision of the organization and somebody like me who doesn't necessarily have that big picture vision can can help with some Mm -hmm. of the logistics of things that uh i think lends my expertise i just yell (laughs) yeah that's all i'm here for yep yep well, anything else to add, Mr. Bain? Uh, just be ready. We got a lot of great stuff coming, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it.
Yeah. Well, with that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>